Primetime with Sean Mooney is brought to you by Blue Chew. Guys, coming up, I'm going to let you in on the way to increase your performance and get that extra confidence in bed. That's BlueChew.com. Man up. However, standing by right now is the one and the only Sean Mooney. Who? Mooney, everybody's got a price for the million dollar man. After you threw him off through the announce table, Taker climbs back down, he gets in the ring, and he goes, see if he's breathing. So right before I called 911, I thought she was falling asleep. So I nudged her, she didn't respond. I was sitting out in my front yard, and they told me that uh, she didn't make it. If they would do a movie about your life, who would you want to play your part? <laughs> well, George Clooney, of course. <laughs> who else could it be? You know, I think it would take probably $100,000 at least to bring us in for the Hall of Fame. Are you laughing, Sean? I get off the track here all the time. Did you just laugh, Sean? You can't You can't even show them on TV because they're so busy humping each other that you can't <laughs> even show them on TV. Attention, Sean Mooney, you scum, you slime, you maggot. If there's no further questions, you're dismissed. Carry on, maggot. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of PTSM. We had a great episode featuring Brian Heffron, a.k.a. the Blue Meanie, uh, last week. Uh, I hope you had a chance to uh, listen to it. It's uh, one that uh, sparked a lot of interest. It performed very well with a number of downloads we've seen uh, so far, and because that's they, they keep listening to it. So, uh, But the numbers so far have just been great. And I love my conversation with Brian because, you know, uh, that guy is the real deal. Uh, he is somebody who many would have never given him a chance to make it in the business. Uh, problem is, they forgot to tell him. Uh, has had a great career with a, a big break with ECW. You know what I'm talking about if you listen to the episode. And Raven, a big chance that he gave him. And uh, a ride that uh, took him all the way to the WWE. And the Blue Meanie is still at it. He is out there doing independent shows, uh, making appearances. So uh, he is really... A very inspirational story, and I, again, want to thank Brian Heffron for coming on PTSM. But the great episodes just keep on coming. My guest this week is someone I have always been very fond of. She is a member of the legendary Hart family, and I got to meet her several times uh, back in the day, you know, when, when Davey Boy Smith was one of the most popular superstars in the world, and that is absolutely true. It was a, a time there when everybody knew who he was, especially back home in the UK. But I'll have to tell you that you know that, that, that something that has stayed with me all these years was SummerSlam 1992, when Davy Boy faced uh, his brother-in-law Bret Hart uh, at Wembley Stadium, and I was there. And if you uh, know what was going on uh, during that incredible uh, matchup, uh, an incredibly em- emotional experience for all involved. And, uh, you know, I was at ringside and did an interview with Diana Hart, and it is one I have never forgotten because uh, that was that was real. Uh, there was a lot happening there, and we'll talk about that in this uh, episode and so much more. And I mean so much more. Folks, it is a long one, so buckle up, and I think you're really going to enjoy it. Uh, before we get to that, though, I have to talk about our uh, very first PTSM Superstar Watch Along with Brian Nobbs of the Nasty Boys uh, that took place this past Sunday. Hey, hey folks, we, we pulled it off. Um, we 
did experience some technical difficulties uh, early on, but it turned out to be even better than I expected with all the great interaction that went on. Uh, we had all of our uh, Patreon members join us and then other people who signed up uh, to join us on Crowdcast. And um, if you were one of our Patreon members, uh, if, you were, uh, if you're a Mooney or, uh, or you're part of the Legion of Who, you got to be part of it absolutely free. And I think that everyone that was involved, because you know everybody who was a part of that was part of the show. Uh, you got to interact with Brian throughout. And then uh, you know, my fingers were crossed. That at the end of that, after we watched the match, uh, that that encounter with uh, the Nasty Boys taking on the Steiner Brothers for the uh, United States Tag Team Championship with the WCW in 1990 at Halloween Havoc. Uh, I think everybody really enjoyed it, and I am definitely looking forward to doing uh, the next one, and that is in the works. And I'm also really happy to report that the number of Patreon members continues to grow, which is awesome to see. Uh, if you haven't checked out the great features of the PTSM Patreon membership, please do so. Uh, there is something for everybody uh, with our Patreon membership. Uh, besides, you know, you get the, the latest episode of PTSM at least a day earlier than everybody else, uh, as well as a picture and a phone call from me for all who join. Uh, if you're part of the Moonies, you'll, you'll get all that, plus uh, our watch-alongs for free. And uh, members of the Legion of Who... Uh, get all that plus a t-shirt like right when you sign up uh, you get on the list you get to pick a, a t-shirt from the fine ptsm collection you know right when you sign up there and um, after you've been with us for uh, six months i believe it is you're going to get your very own podcast with me that's right we, we will do a podcast together that's going to be posted onto our patreon page for all the members to hear and you even get your own graphics that's 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 what i think is really cool you know how we uh, put up uh, the graphics on uh, Facebook page, and we get it out on all of our social media. Whoever the guest is, well, you get your very own graphics page, your title page, I think we, we call it. And those are going to be a lot of fun. So don't miss out. Enhance your PTSM experience by becoming a Primetime with Sean Mooney Patreon member. And, uh, folks, it is so easy. All you have to do is go to patreon.com slash Mooney. That's patreon.com slash primetimemooney, okay? So don't miss your chance to be a part of it. And speaking of enhancement, uh, Primetime with Sean Mooney is brought to you by Blue Chew. And uh, guys, uh, listen to me here. This is your last chance to get a tremendous deal on Blue Chew. So uh, you can increase your performance and get that extra confidence in bed, but you are running out of time. Now, these advertisements are all based on performance uh, just like other things, and if you don't take advantage of this tremendous offer, uh, you're not going to get it. It's uh, They're not sticking around, as I told you, so this is your last chance to do it. This may be it. So listen up and find out how you can get your first order of Blue Chew absolutely free. Now, let's be honest here, guys. It may be a constant problem, maybe an occasional problem, but no matter who you are, at some point, uh, we men have had trouble performing when we really needed to. Well, with Blue Chew, you can now increase your performance to get that extra confidence in bed whenever you need to. BlueChew.com, that's Blue Chew, like the color blue, brings you the first chewable with the same FDA-approved active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis, so you know they work. And you can take them anytime, day or night, even on a full stomach, and since they're chewable, they work up to twice as fast as a pill, so you can be ready whenever that opportunity arises. 
And guys, they make it very easy. I did it. All you have to do is go to BlueChew.com and answer a few questions, and then they take it from there. Now, Blue Chew is prescribed online and shipped straight to your door in a discreet package, so no in-person doctor's visit, no waiting in the pharmacy, and best of all, no more awkwardness. They're also made in the USA. We love that. And since Blue Chew prepares and ships direct, they're cheaper than a pharmacy. So, come on. What are you waiting for? I mean it. <laughs> what are you waiting for? This is your last chance. Take it from me. You want to be ready when it counts. Get Blue Chew now. And as I mentioned, it's your last chance to get a very special deal. Yeah, you get it right here through primetime. Because you listen to this podcast, we have a special deal for you. Visit BlueChew.com right now, and you're going to get your first shipment absolutely free when you use our special promo code PRIMETIME, and then all you have to do is just pay 5 bucks for shipping. Again, that's B-L-U-E-Chew.com, promo code PRIMETIME, and you get to try it absolutely free. So come on, guys, man up. Don't miss this opportunity. Order today. Blue Chew is the better, cheaper, faster choice. That's BlueChew.com. All right, enough business here. Let's get to it. Another great episode of Primetime with Sean Mooney. This week with Diana Hart. Ding, ding, ding. Folks, I am really excited to uh, have my guest on here with me uh, on Primetime with Sean Mooney this episode. She is uh, a member of one of the most uh, legendary families in the history of professional wrestling. Uh, so many uh, great stories, uh, so many great individuals part of that family. And Diana Hart joins us. And Diana, it has been a while since we've uh, seen and, and chatted, uh, but uh, I'm really, really uh, honored that you're uh, joining us today. How are you? I'm very well. I'm great. A um, little bit cold up here in Calgary. Is uh, it? That's where I'm talking to you from. It's like, ah, uh, geez, I don't know. It's like minus 30 with the wind chill. Oh, boy. Factor. It's fr- freezing. Like my yeah. door handles inside the house, uh, <laughs> some of them are frozen. Like they, there's ice on them. Oh, boy. So you're but, still feeling the effects of that polar vortex that we felt down here in the States. Yeah, that's <laughs> yeah. right. Yes. Well, you yeah, know, and you've been uh, somehow that uh, that country keeps drawing you back because I know you've spent time in Florida. But uh, what is it about uh, being up there that uh, just keeps bringing you home? It's that darn family. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that darn family. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's so much to, to talk about that that darn family. I mean, what a uh, an incredible uh, group of people. I had the... Uh, the uh, the great honor of working with a few of them uh, during that period of time and also <clears throat> meeting you as well. Uh, but I think, I guess if we're going to start, we should start with your dad because, uh, you know, Stu Hart is, uh, was the, uh, the patriarch of this family and uh, really started it all. And I just remember, I'll tell you, he was always so great to me, uh, just really nice individual. And of course, I didn't know him really well, but whenever he would come to the events, he was just so awesome. And the one thing I remember more than anything is that Shaking his hand was like shaking a rock with fingers. He just had that, you know, iron grip of, uh, you know, when you when you shook hands with him, boy, you, I think you've described him as a man's man. But that 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 has always stayed with me. Yeah, he had uh, like I saw him when I was little, and he was, you know, I didn't realize it at at the power of it at the time, yeah. but uh, he was holding a chainsaw and using it with one hand. Oh gosh, like, just. Yeah. And I, I mean, I can't even hold a chainsaw with two hands, and op- but he was operating it with, with one hand, just like he was. Um, 
I mean, I can't even cut a loaf of bread <laughs> with two hands. You know, I have yeah. to have two hands. Yeah. You know, to, to, but he he was um, he needed a, the other hand to to uh, hold something, and then. Yeah. But uh, yeah, he had from years of hard work. I know, like being a, a farm boy, and right. then the amateur wrestling, and um, he was so strong and uh, big, strong forearms. Uh, I just uh, always, you know, it, it, I always wanted to do a, a drawing of my dad's hands yeah. um, or a sculpture of them. There, there was one picture that a, a really good photographer named Jared Sitch up here in Calgary um, did of my dad, and it's kind of legendary. Uh, I, a lot of people um, seem to send it to me, so I don't know how they got access to it but it's a picture of my dad's face and um he was at the dining room table and he just had his hands clasped together mm. and it's not and my dad it's not like a delicate picture where he's like it's just a very um virile picture and and his hands say as much as his face it's yeah. just these big paws and um the, you know the life that they they lived if they could talk they would say as much as as his heart you know they wow. he just um but yeah he had a an honest uh authentic um persona that that you could um appreciate just from a handshake yeah and i think that um you know it, it is certainly a de different times from back then but uh i know growing up and if anybody had watched the has watched the uh the documentary on the Hart family uh you know it, it just kind of shows how that that's that type of uh lifestyle how how that those lessons learned early in life stayed with him forever and, uh, and then that comes from being in that territory and if people have ever been up there they know how uh, how brutal it can be and then I, I think at one point they had lost their land and the family and lived in tents in this brutal cold that yeah. had to have stayed with him his entire life yeah i i, I mean i i uh am sure that the winters in the two winters in Saskatchewan that he lived in the tent mm. uh, with his uh, family were as cold as what I'm going through right now. Gosh. And he was in a little tent, like, and they would bring the dogs in to keep them warm and hot rocks. And they'd he had a um, slingshot. I mean, they didn't even have a gun. Mm. He'd hunt uh, rabbits and you know bring them home or whatever he could get. And they were so. Um, you know, I, I heard that the rabbits had, you know, so little inside them. You know, they were full of worms and oh stuff. Boy. You cook them with, uh, like, stone soup, you know, whatever you could. In the winter, you wouldn't have many vegetables. But whatever you could find and, uh, you know, cook it and eat it and make it last as long as you could. You know, it's not like, you know, you wouldn't have a can of uh, old beans in there like you wouldn't have he wouldn't have had anything it mm. would just have been like uh like uh bitterly cold old uh western you know you're living in you could just picture the wind blowing and um you can't see past you know your nose because it's uh the wind is so bad i mean that that's what saskatchewan uh winters are like yeah. there's no mountains there's no uh wind barriers um not that it's warm in the mountains either but um yeah, it was. Uh, I believe that um, through those really um, 
like unbelievably extraordinarily difficult um, years of his life that he uh, um, must have determined that he wanted to, um, you know, if he ever could get out of that, you know, he would make the most of his life. And, and uh, I, I, I don't know where he, he uh, had this love of, uh, I, I know he had a, a nice family, but um, he must have really, I don't know where it developed, but the want to help everybody he could and help his family and, I just don't see that anymore. You know, I, I, I really don't. I just, if, if he helped somebody, um, it wasn't an ego thing where, Oh, I, 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 I want to help someone cause I want them to remember me. It was, mm. it wasn't like that. He just, he really wanted to see people succeed. And I think it was a reflection of, um, his own self-worth. Like, you know, if I, if I can, I, he, he didn't do it for credit, though. Yeah. He didn't do it because there are so many things that he did that I, I am still finding out about now. And it's mm. like, you know, that my dad never um, uh, capitalized on or made a big deal about, but just anything, uh, you're, you know, just so many stories um, mm. and I, the, how he how he helped uh this family or that family or your dad gave me even little things like um, your dad gave me uh, uh, helped us buy a Christmas tree one year because he and you know it's like oh he it, you know I'm not surprised but he didn't come home and say oh I helped uh, I bought a Christmas tree at the you know he just he just was a uh, and my mom too you know and they they found each other and um my dad was about 30 after World War II and, you know, had proven himself so much, you know, qualified for the Olympics in amateur wrestling uh, to um, represent Canada. And the Olympics were wiped out twice and yeah. he was, I'm sure, disappointed about that. But, um, you know, he, uh, as my sister Ellie said, he always looked at the glasses just full, not yeah. half full or half empty. He was just, the glass was full and... My mom was sort of uh, maybe a half full, <laughs> half full kind yeah, of yeah. girl. Yeah, well, I, I'm sure that those lessons early in life, like when you live that way and you basically you're just you're struggling for survival, that there's nothing that ever is going to uh, knock you down because you uh, if you got through that, and it seemed like you know they were the the, the worst of times and in the best of times, uh, he lived all of those with the you know the this zest for life yeah yeah and, he did he lived yeah. into he did with a, a huge zest for life yeah. he did love um <laughs> he he loved the good when he finally you know could get nice things you know good food and um and that was so important because he was starving for a long time mm -hmm. um and as i realized when i was growing up how important it was for him to see that his family was fed. He, even when uh, we weren't doing well uh, financially and food was kind of um, a premium in a way, you know, you, you'd just get what you get. You could have pancakes for, the, you know, or bananas or sauerkraut. It's just whatever you... Um, but he, he wanted us to always 
be fed and um, he didn't, there was no negotiation with that. Yeah. Um, and school too, that was another thing with both my mom and dad. It was so important for their kids, for them to see their kids educated. Um, and, you know, you really didn't miss school if, unless there was something like really you didn't even when you're sick uh thought like they wanted us to everything nowadays is so judged you know if you say well my dad sent us to school when we were not feeling well someone will think that right, yeah <laughs> you know you were your dad was mean or your dad yeah. was trying to get other people sick or something but i'm just everything is different now i have to yeah. re re uh phrase things a little bit but i hope you understand what i mean he's just well education was important to him and, and, and his kids uh, getting that education then and i can imagine what school systems were like back then um that that was really important because uh, you, uh, you had all these all these children and uh, they wanted to make sure that they were going to get a chance in life yeah I, you know his when he was in school um he was lucky to even get to school when he could because he had to uh, you know, work for uh, whatever land. I don't know how they were surviving, but he yeah. was the only boy. He had two sisters, and um, his mom wasn't wasn't well, and she ended up passing away. She had diabetes, but they didn't know it at that at that time. Mm -hmm. It was nineteen nineteen fifteen was when he was born. So, um, but uh, the odd days when he, they did get to school when they could um the sisters and he rode to school um on the horse and they would fall asleep on the horse's back and the horse knew how to get them to the school <laughs> and they had bare feet and wow. um just um you know the dungarees or like the overalls and the the shirt no shoes and uh, so I don't know what schooling they could get in the wintertime. I don't know if the horse could have made it. I'm not sure. Yeah. And if they didn't have the proper clothes, they might have frozen to death going. But when the weather was better, I the horse would just – and they would fall. I gathered that that was one of the things I had heard recently that he would they would just fall asleep on the horse's back. And the, they must have been in their – like I don't know, maybe – eight, nine, and ten or something. I'm not sure what the difference in age was between my dad and his sisters, but um, um, anyway, they were, um, yeah, so, you know, just to get to school and uh, on the horse and uh, how many miles away that was, I don't know. Too far to walk, though. Yeah, I'll tell you. But, uh, I mean, you talk about a stark existence, and, and uh, you know, Stu was a, a, an incredibly gifted athlete. Uh, probably, yeah. like you said, because it just timing-wise, there was a couple of Olympics in there when the World War II was uh, happening, and then the, the I think he had another opportunity in '48, and uh, you know a lot was still happening, and uh, you know he had to make a choice, uh, made a, a good decision because uh, you know he got into professional wrestling, and uh, here we are today. But um, back then. Uh, how did he end up getting into the business? I mean, and I mean, and, and I'm talking about you know forming his own promotion because he had uh, you know great success as a, a professional wrestler. But when did the business end of it start to come into his life? Um, it was around 1952. Mm -hmm. uh, so he married my mom in uh, 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 48. 
Um, And then he was kind of... uh, Toots Mott, who was head of the... I don't know if it's the NWA then, but uh, Toots Mott found out my dad was uh, trained by uh, Jack Taylor and Mm he... He almost couldn't believe it because uh, Jack Taylor was, uh, uh, I mean, it, it just, it was, uh, it was an unlikely, you know, what are you doing in New York? And Jack Taylor's from this part of the world. And you, it was, but when he found out my dad really was um, all that, all that and more, you know, he, he was, he wasn't just trained by him and that was it. He was a, a gifted uh he was a protege he was so so um uh just just like a dream come true and uh, and so took smart uh took uh, my dad's uh i don't know in, in uh, to wrap it up nicely kind of took him under his uh took him aside and said you you will go places and um you know basically uh go back to Canada and we, we will work with you and we have a, uh, we are expanding and we'd like, we are trusting you with that. And, um, I think there was some, some sort of promotion up in Calgary at that time, but it wasn't, uh, or in Edmonton, it was really barely doing anything. And, um, my dad came back, uh, roundabout through working the States, um, Texas and then back up towards northern like Montana and then into Alberta um got back with his old friend um best friend who he spent a lot of time with in Edmonton named Al Oming who uh I think was another uh another guy that maybe doesn't get enough credit for his influence on my dad Mm -hmm. um Al Oming was a pretty good athlete, um, a really nice family, and they took my dad under their wing when he was a teenager um, because he had become a ward of the state with the Salvation Army after um, after his mother died and they lost the land in Saskatchewan. And hmm. um, Al Oming's fa- family um, had a game farm. You know, they had wolves and cheetahs and hmm. buffalo and coyotes and uh all kinds of uh wild animals that they were and they had this huge game farm and um al uh al was a a great he taught i think he taught my dad a lot of uh survival um le- lessons in survival too like I, i'm not sure where my dad had the idea of coal or like but he would sometimes have us eat you know just like lick charcoal like a briquette and you know now that's the big thing you know like the charcoal cleanse or the you know clean- <laughs> it's ahead of his time <laughs> yeah and i i just remember that yeah. was uh and then when you say that that then yeah. it was like oh your dad is mean he's got the yeah, yeah. kids eating coal but it, <laughs> it was uh he just would tell you to lick it he said it was good for your teeth yeah. but um, yeah Ooh. it was it's a mineral you know yeah. it's it's from the earth um so anyway, Al Oming and my dad were uh, promoting, and there was something at that time in the early '50s where you couldn't promote and wrestle; you had you could do one or the other. So yeah. Al Oming was the promoter, and if you look up Al Oming or the Alberta Game Farm, uh, Oming is O E M I N G. Um, 
it'll say that he was a, a wrestler and a promoter, but um, he was working with my dad so that basically my dad could promote, but it was through, you know, for um, the facade of it looking right. like Alming was the, uh, so that my dad could, could run the show and wrestle. But, uh, you know, Al was, was a great guy for my dad to, he could trust him. Uh, they were best friends and, um, yeah. And, and then they, they, you know, they worked with, um, Sandor Kovacs, um, Paul Bush, right. uh, um, Sandor ended up, uh, like the, it's Sandy Kovacs, Paul Bash, Jan Blears, or Lord Blears, and my dad were all like, I don't know what it, I don't like to say the the click, but they were like a little crew out in yeah. um, New York. You know this this uh, four uh, phenomenal like like Lord Blears, he got the Purple Heart, I believe it was the Purple Heart or the uh the, I I don't know if if it was the Purple Heart. It was for England. It was uh, yeah. for rescuing uh he was a phenomenally strong swimmer and he rescued so many people that were um bringing them swimming out from the boat that they were shipwrecked or the they were capsized and he flew or he swam back and forth back and forth and saved so many lives it was just um hmm. amazing what he did and he that's how he became lord lord blears yeah. um he got um, an, the honor from a, a particular honor uh, from the Queen for what he did for his services in in the in the World War Two, and um, you know, a great friend of my mom of my dad's. He was the lifeguard at the beach and introduced my mom and dad. And Sandor Kovacs and Paul Besh were there and with my dad, and um, you know, right from the beginning, and they they went their separate ways but they worked together um so sandor was in um uh seattle washington british columbia and my dad had uh calgary or well western western canada but not right. not but he's working hand in hand with with um sandy and then uh paul bash was down in texas and um uh yeah i think that's every and i'm not sure where jan blears went yeah. right off at, but he eventually went to Hawaii. But they they started out a good uh, strong unit and really helped to build the NWA um, and worked closely with with um, with the plan, you know. And then Gene Kaniski became, uh, you know, he was from BC and he, you know, when Ed, uh, I think he played for the CFL. I don't know if he was the BC Lions or Edmonton Eskimos, but world champion and. Just you know, it's a really good group. It was. It didn't all start in the '80s with. Right. Um, oh yeah. No with Davy and uh, Dynamite, you know, it started. Yeah. And, and then guys like um, Gorgeous George um, came to Calgary and. Um, uh, so I was this I, was this in the '60s at the time? I mean, when did that early success with the Stampede really start? Because there were some really good years there, when your uh, dad had that operation going and. Um, I'd say it was around in the um, 50s to about uh, late 50s. And yeah. he had for like three TV shows. Yeah. Um, uh, oh, oh, Sam Meneker was, uh, was one of his uh, bookers, I guess. Yeah. Um, 
they had uh man i don't remember all of the names but um my mom was very much involved uh so they had one show was for the wrestling one show was kind of all about the uh the interviews Mm -hmm. um like the I I don't quite know how they did it. Uh, And then the third show was like a comedy hour, like a Johnny Carson show. Yeah, and uh, they had have uh, uh, one one very, I think, uh, well, Gorilla Monsoon was another guy that was kind of like uh, Killer Kowalski. Mm -hmm. um, But they had one guy that was really smart. And then one wrestler that was uh, really uh, arrogant, you know, and that so they'd get the letter, like for example. And my mom was some of these were legitimate letters, but um, <laughs> but uh, my mom would uh, help to write the response. Right, so right, that right. It would be, uh, you know, dear uh, dear gorilla or something. Yeah. You know, my I'm having problems with my husband. He just won't he won't pay attention to me or something. So they read the letter on. And then my mom would have written the response, so the one wrestler would have the really, uh, you know, very chauvinistic. Uh, uh, yeah, put her in her place. Don't let yeah, the, yeah, yeah. And then the other wrestler, and I think the other wrestler was the, baby the face. yeah, he'd be like very, um, you know, well, what you do, you know, you should take, you know, buy her, um, you know, I don't know, he'd he'd have a very romantic. Uh, uh, scenario laid out very and very good names like my mom was so smart you know she'd yeah. have um, have the names of uh, of the you know the right restaurant what to order what to the certain certain kind of flower oh rose or whatever anyhow and they they'd but it was a huge success yeah, and I'm, it, God, it'd be and, great if those tapes were existed today that wouldn't that be awesome to watch they, uh, with the tapes they would send the tape out and then a lot of the times the tapes by the time they got back to calgary they had been taped over with something <laughs> right, else right they, they they just reused things back then yeah. you know they didn't um you know and it's so some of the tapes never did get come yeah. back and you'll hear about someone saying oh you know tape you know they they ran this show in some country that the wrestling we didn't even know we were being aired in and then um, but that's because the tapes went all over the world. Some of them you'd get back. Some would be re-recorded on before you got them back, and uh, mm. some some remained untouched. But um, yeah, th- then uh, somebody got mad about something. Some uh, bastard in uh, this area where the TV shows were being taped, mm. and he was just an old uh, bastard. I mean, I wasn't even born when yeah. he did this, but I, I. Um, you know, despise him. You know, he's probably dead now. But uh, he he put got a petition together saying he didn't like that there was so many parked cars on his street. And this was in the district of Calgary where it's called Rideau. So it's a very, um, well, Rideau, um, Roxborough, very uh, affluent district. But it happened to be where the TV station was built. And so that killed the business. I mean, that yeah. what's going on? He got a that. petition, and yeah. The, the, yeah, and it just closed down like basically overnight. But mm-hmm. in that time that my my mom and dad had this, they were uh, 
rolling. I mean, they bought a, a plane. They were flying the wrestlers. Wow. Not, not My dad didn't know how to fly it. I think he could, but he didn't actually have a license. But he was pretty <laughs> handy, you know. Yeah. Sam Meneker was the one who flew the plane. Um, yeah. and, uh, and they bought the big mansion too, right, to the house. Yeah, he bought that. Uh, actually, my dad bought that in 52. He bought yeah. the territory for 25000 or 50, yeah. and he bought the house for... Twenty-five thousand or fifty. Uh-huh. With the, with all the property. So that, I mean, those were good days, and it was uh, unfortunately before you came along. I think you were born in uh, what sixty-three or later, so you yeah. kind of missed that. So, um, as, as far as the uh, the wrestling part of it goes, I mean, I know that that Stu uh, uh, wasn't necessarily wanted his boys to get into the business. Um, but was it kind of always known that that, that was going to happen for for many of them? I mean, uh, you know, early on, with uh, you know Bruce and and was it like that, or, or did he really try and encourage them to to try to go separate, you know, to a separate uh, part of life, you know, to a different path of of earning a living? That's a good question, Sean. It really is because it was re- it was. Important for my dad to have all his kids get kids get a university education. Mm-hmm. Yet he he really liked having the family part of um, part of the promotion, and yeah. I, I possibly that's where the some dissension um, came between my mom and dad. I. I believe my mom really didn't want the boys getting into wrestling, and um, my dad. I, I think deep down he did want them to go as far as they could as amateurs, and possibly then, if they were good amateurs, I think that was my dad's thing: was if you proved your worth as a good amateur, then you could then get into professional wrestling mm-hmm. as, as far as the inner circle went kind of or the bet because all of the or or be a good athlete but he you know my dad did try to uh, nurture and cultivate everything he could out of anybody even if they felt they didn't have an athletic um right. or maybe didn't have an athletic bone in their body he still still uh did his best to help them but i just think because they were always around it like yeah. you know it's kind of like part of, your, yeah, and, part of your blood i mean that's that was the family business it, it really was yeah. if he didn't if he didn't want them to be um i mean it made sense financially to you know have the business run out of the office or yeah. the business run out of the house and having 12 kids but at the same time it was very um unusual to to do that they could have had it they could have had an office or they could have had uh you know my dad and and al oming doing it out of a separate place but it was my mom and dad running it and it had to be done out of the house so that the kids could all be looked after and they had to know it was going to uh through osmosis or yeah. through desire it was going to rub off you know yeah. and well, was was um, I mean, early on, did you know? Of course, we all all know the the world knows. Uh, Brett and Owen, of course, were the the two that really uh, 
became world famous. But were the yeah. other were the other brothers? I mean, you were there. Did you know? Did uh, Bruce seem to have more talent at the time, or did you think that God, Bruce is going to do? Did you think early on that like Brett, boy, he, he's really got it? I mean, uh, what was your viewpoint amongst all your brothers who uh, really had it? Um, they all they all had it. I, you know, I I didn't mm. see Smith wrestle so much. Yeah. Um, for some reason, I really didn't see him wrestle. I don't recall him wrestling live. Mm-hmm. If he did, like in front of me, if he did, I, I don't remember. But I, I remember watching Bruce and Keith and yeah. uh, Dean. But Dean was an awesome, really was a, a phenomenal amateur wrestler, and he was so gutsy. Just you know, he died young, and he yeah. he wasn't that big, but uh, he was. What a! I I always felt um, in good hands with Dean, and we, yeah. I got into uh, always seemed to get be with Dean when uh, little altercations came up, and I <laughs> saw Dean. Uh, yeah. I saw him pick the back end of the the big um, Cadillac um, Brome de Elegance. Um, he was so mad and. and Picked picked the back end and and moved it over. Um, wow! Uh, I don't know, like four inches. He had to get out of this spot, and a guy had blocked him in and wouldn't move. Anyway, it was uh, he was just it, uh, he had like super strength and uh, uh, what a personality too. But um, as far as pro wrestling and stuff, I just felt like when I saw Bruce, he his style was so different than. Bretts and Keats, uh-huh. and um, Keith was a, a a great shooter in the ring, and he had some uh, terrific matches, like very believable, uh, like the Billy Robinson Dory Funk kind of match. That um, he was a highly skilled uh, amateur wrestler. He knew all kinds of um, uh, moves that my dad taught him. That he um, you know, like the secrets that I, I'm sure yeah. all my brothers know some, but I think Keith spent a little more time with my dad at, you know, being the age difference. Like Owen would have been younger when my dad was older. So yeah. I know my dad was uh, still in great shape when Owen was getting into wrestling, but I think Keith got a lot of knowledge that my dad was able to pass on when he was in a, a slightly better position to do it than, um, yeah. and have other people around to, uh, like, you know, my dad might've been demonstrating or teaching somebody like, uh, Archie Goldie, how to wrestle. And, uh, Keith would have been like Harry's age, like, you know, 12, maybe or 15 watching from the mat and seeing all these things happen. Mm-hmm. So Keith had quite a vocabulary, um, wrestling physical wrestling vocabulary um wayne learned a lot but he he was he he just didn't have the interest in it he was a little defiant as far as um he he wanted to learn judo Uh which was fine um and my dad respected all the combative disciplines but um uh, wayne just didn't uh, didn't hang around as much um Dean did, um, 
but uh, then we get get down to Brett. Um, Brett learned. Uh, I don't know if he learned as much as Keith. Um, as Keith did go on to a national level with his amateur wrestling, because he wrestled for the University of Saskatchewan, mm-hmm. and um, you know for four years he wrestled a- amateur at university level, and um, Owen did too, and Brett, who's a phenomenal amateur wrestler and technician in the ring, he only went as far as high school and he, you know, he blew them away in high school as, as an amateur wrestler. He's just, he was, you know, seamless with it, but, um, he stopped after high school and then he went to uh, Mount Royal college, but he didn't really, um, carry on with it because I think Brett was planning on a career in, in Hollywood as a director. I, yeah, I really? think that was, he was, um, and then he, but he got pulled back in. And, yeah. and um, but Brett's style was totally different than Bruce's, and he and Keith had a lot of the technical similarities. But Brett, kind of um, being a little bigger, and he just had a little more. Um, he just had his own um, take on things. Like I had never seen anyone hit a turnbuckle face first yeah. like okay. Brett. Yeah, he, Me and then. Brett's uh, uppercuts and uh, forearms and his stomps, he it was, it was all his own. Like I, yeah. I, and I didn't really see a lot of my dad wrestling because I'd get too scared when I was little. Yeah. So uh, I mean, I wasn't allowed to see him wrestle live. But when I was little, I mean, that didn't happen until like I was a teenager. But um, I'd watch it on TV and. Some of the stuff I saw was my dad and Archie Goldie, and uh, my dad's head split open, and I'd see in the kitchen while watch. So it happened Friday night, and then the next day it's on TV. My dad's watching it on TV in the kitchen, and I can see the stitches in my dad's head, <laughs> and I see him on TV, and he's bleeding, and I, I was just, I, I just was too, um, I don't know. Uh, I, d- I was too stressed out about it or traumatized. <laughs> really? yeah, I was right. traumatized. Yeah, well, it was all, then, it was all, it wasn't a work to you. No, it was all. Yeah. And then when kids at school would say, oh, you're, you're, my dad says your dad's uh, fake or, yeah. oh, uh, then, then it was uh, like, how, and I'm, you know, I, when they see it, say that, you know, the things that come into my mind at that time were like, my mom and dad working so hard and, right. Uh, and we're struggling uh, so many years after that things got shut down. It took a long in the fifty late fifties. Um, it could have been, could have been like sixty, but it was before I was born. And I was when I was born, it was just kind of at the worst. Like we we didn't, but I was a baby, so I didn't right. remember anything other than being doted over. And then. Uh, like when I started grade one, I just remember things were like that would have been 69. I was five when I started and I was had no idea where I was, you know, I was just got taken to school and didn't know anybody and got picked up. And it was like, well, that was kind of interesting. And that's so at school. <laughs> yeah. And then, uh, you know, if you get to know a few people and, you know, I was really shy, but then after like grade two or something, someone was started 
telling me my dad was a fake and yeah. I was like you? and then I it's like, fighting how, words, right? yes they are yeah. and it's like how can you say it my dad yeah. is so so strong and he's so good and, yeah. and uh, I'm not under any illusions he's there at home while you know he's uh I see him um doting over my mom and I see my mom like working in the office till you know one in the morning and uh, my dad getting up to make us breakfast, you know, hot cereal, and there's no, not enough milk for everyone, and we're just, and, and it's not because he forgot to buy any, you know, there just isn't enough, there's not just not enough, but he, he, he cared so much, and yeah. so I just um, um, couldn't, uh, couldn't handle that, so I didn't see a lot of what my dad did and then when he would stretch guys down in the basement i yeah. wasn't allowed down there at yeah, all down it in was... the dungeon and i was going to ask you about that that uh, the legend of course and uh, i don't know how much that grows but uh nobody could question that there was anybody who could stretch somebody uh better than, than Stu hart uh do you remember hearing <laughs> some i uh, do yeah, yeah. i i was there but i was i was upstairs and yeah. uh when that the there was one I guess that's sort of infamous um, because and I, I don't think it was planned out the way it all came out but there's some country western song in the background because they had a radio down there yeah. um, probably like an old radio with cloth over the speakers and a big dial um, well I do remember it it was a wooden radio it was really old and uh, kind of staticky but it, you could get the odd country western station once in a while that had good reception so it was some like you know like you know yeah. the uh country song that uh probably is of of someone suffering and um owen was down there with the tape recorder and i think bruce might have told owen to tape it but the song was just a, a fluke it just happened to be playing when this was going on and <laughs> And Owen had one of those, I think Owen was like a little toy for him, someone's uh, little tape recorder set. It was like uh, maybe like the size of a carton of eggs, and it had the buttons that you push down. And so he was recording it with a, a cassette tape. And where the dungeon is, is right in the basement. Well, the pipes, we had hot water heating through the house that's what we eventually got. We got rid of the radiators. Um, and unfortunately, when we got rid of the radiators, that was we were getting this new thing called hot water heating, like the pipe heating, which big commercial buildings and stuff have now. Um, but that's when everything just shut down for my dad, and we didn't have any heat except for one radiator in one, in one room and then in this big house and then the kitchen whatever heat you could get from the oven but uh the rest of the house was freezing and but so with anyway the the pipes went would go through all the way through the house and um they had to cut holes in the hardwood floor um so if you peeked into the hardwood floor like it wasn't a sealed yeah like it would be like uh i don't know uh the hole would be about the size of a a can of uh, Heinz beans, say, uh -huh. and then the pipe was uh, a little smaller, and that would run all the way through, and then up up the wall and around the 
but see, if you look through that hole where the pipe was, you could, you could see the, just directly below, which would have been one corner of the dungeon, just the, you would see maybe some string and a bit of the canvas, like the rope to hold the canvas down and yeah. the hook. And you could smell the sweat too coming up from, from there. And uh, so I could hear quite clearly this things going on down there and you could hear the bumps and feel it through the, the floor. But mm. I could hear the guy um, and I think he'd been a little bit of um, uh, a smart aleck. It's not like <laughs> my dad was, <laughs> was dying to stretch him, but uh, I think my dad really was having a little bit of fun with him. And this guy was just, just hysterical, like uh, something out of a cartoon and you end up having to slap the guy in the face. And then he's like, Oh, thank you. I needed that. But he was just like screaming and stop, stop, stop and crying and crying. And my dad's kind of just oh playfully uh, slapping him on the stomach saying, there, there now have some discipline. Hey, there you go. There you go. It's just, slapping him but yeah. the way it sounds on the tape is almost like uh mm-hmm. you know yeah, but it was, it was just like <laughs> come on there there now have, have yeah. some discipline here yeah. <laughs> and it's just and it went on for about 20 minutes and um i'm sure the guy thought each you know each little bit uh um Cinch, cinching it in a little more, he was just one step closer to uh, sure. meeting his maker. But uh, at, at the end, you know, he he was uh, fine. And yeah. well, I'm sure in Stu's mind, it was. It, it, I mean, you had to earn your way. It was a way to yeah, to, to yeah. Uh, you know whether you were made out for this business and uh, and you and respect for the business. So yeah. he had his method, but boy, he was leg- yeah, you know, uh, legendary. That there's no question about that. If he shook your hand, or you know, yeah. he sometimes sort of kind of like, like want to just. Yeah. Uh, it was kind of like, I don't know. He wasn't. My dad was not a bully, and he wasn't um, uh, sadistic. But it, it was kind of. It's like, I don't know. It's like a way of. Uh, you know, like if you learn this or you go through this, you will. I promise you, you'll be a better person mm-hmm. after. You, better man. You, a better man. Yeah. 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 I, well, and he made a lot of men. That's for sure. That uh, throughout <laughs> the business, that never forgot that. And uh, you know, that's that's kind of the way it was back in the day. Which was interesting though, because you know, a lot of the the, the wrestler handshake is it's you barely you, any pressure. It just shows you like butter. You know, the, but not yeah. Stu. Stu made you you when you he shook your hand. I mean, he could drop you to your knees. If he wanted to, <laughs> yeah. But that was th- that way it was. Um, I, I, I want to move along here because I know uh, during this period of time, and, and we're talking about like when Brett was coming up, and they were just uh, becoming, you know, people uh, were talking a lot about them. And uh, during this period of time, uh, the love of your life uh, stepped into it, and uh, and, and uh, you you met uh, David Smith. Uh, That's how right. Did, how did that come about? Where he ended up in Canada. Um, that where you even met him? He, um, well, Dynamite came to Calgary in 78, and mm-hmm. that was um, uh, through Bruce. Uh, Bruce is the one who saw him. Oh, okay. uh, but uh, Over in England point. he saw him? I mean, or, or he was over? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Bruce was over there in England wrestling for uh, joint promotions, which was uh, 
um, the Crabtrees, mm-hmm. uh, Shirley and Max Crabtree. And um, uh, but Sm- my brother Smith actually is the first heart to ever wrestle Davy, which is funny. He wrestled uh, Davy in in England in uh, before he ever uh, before I ever knew who he was. Um, yeah. and what was he? Uh, before we really talk about that, but uh, at that time, because I've seen um, old video of him, and I think he was around probably fifteen or sixteen, just this slight. He probably didn't weigh 160 pounds, but you no. could see back then uh, the talent he had. But uh, he wasn't, uh, you know, as many people remember him as being this massive superstar. But yeah. when you met him, he he wasn't, right? No, he was about 185 pounds yeah, okay. um, and uh, solid, like, like yeah. a gymnast. Yeah. Um, and... Uh, you know, I always hear that. Oh, you're, you know, Davy was, uh, um, you know, Davy and Dynamite were these two little, you know, 140 pounds. It's like no, he was like 185 yeah, pounds. Right. He was 18. Like I don't know how big you want a guy to be when he's 18. And uh, but uh, he was solid. Dynamite was um, the same. Dynamite was lighter, though. Yeah. Um, he wasn't as bulky as Davy, but um, that was. Uh, I think just Davey was just a bigger, the bigger always of the two. But um, yeah, Bruce, Bruce was, my brother Bruce went over there and uh, did, he enjoyed going to England and he saw this, um, you know, Tommy Billington, you Mm -hmm. know, dynamite, the dynamite kid. And he was like, oh my, this guy is unbelievable. He is, he is, and he called my dad and it was like something out of like, like the movies where you hear the voice like um back to the future when uh michael j fox is saying you know uh or someone's saying you got to hear this guy yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah right so, uh, you gotta see this kid yeah, yeah. you know and and um my dad was uh hesitant to bring dynamite over because he he was about 170 pounds yeah. maybe uh-huh. but uh when you saw him work uh, yeah. wow what solid uh, he made, they all did. I mean, when you watched it, it's not, they all did like with Dory Funk and Terry Funk and, um, Billy Robinson and watching my dad and Archie Goldie, you know, like uh, it was, you just, you knew that there was, this was, um, a hard fought match, you know, like you don't want to, you know, kill the guy in there, but you know that they're working, they're working for that they're working they're working tight <laughs> yeah yeah nice and snug and, yeah uh, snug yeah and right. um so dynamite uh made made the impression and that did help for a couple of years uh, that was 78 and mm-hmm. 81 um i was in the office at my dad's and you know they, they took you know, they took everything serious, you know, very um, sincerely. Right. So when someone would send their pictures in, you know, they would they would look at everyone's pictures, and it didn't just get put in a pile. Or uh, my mom and dad, you know, gave thought. I mean, it could have been their son that was, uh, you know. So I just appreciated that because there were a lot of handwritten letters and letters from parents and. Speaking of that, Davy's dad is the one that wrote the letter, handwritten on little sheets of paper from like, like the traditional English writing pad that you would get at the 
um, Woolworth over in England, uh, or the little corner store, or the shop, like like uh, kind of like blue paper with yeah. the lines on it, and um, um, and it was just a nice handwritten letter. You know, I'm I'm uh, David's father, and you you know his uh, his cousin, the uh, Tommy Billington, and um, and then there were some pictures inside, and I saw Davy's picture and. I just was, what I, what a handsome guy, yeah. and I You're smitten right away. He was, I yeah. honest to God, yeah, really. Sean, I was. I saw his picture, and then I saw the the letter that his dad wrote, and um, and I, and I knew he was coming over, and then they put that picture in the program, and uh, I took the program to school, a lot, and would just think me, you know. I had a, my best friend Allison. Allison Hall was uh, on board with this. How how was how was I going to get this to happen? You know, me meeting Davy and knowing my mom and dad had the rule about the daughters don't fraternize with the wrestlers. Uh-huh. And but um, Davy's trainer in England was Ted Betley, who had also trained Dynamite. And um, Dynamite's dad was a boxer. Um, and Dynamite's and Davy's grandfather, they shared the same grandfather. Yeah. Uh, uh, Joe Billington, he was um, a boxer as well. And there's an interesting thing if you go on Wikipedia and you look up, uh, um, I think it's Thomas Billington. Um, it takes you to the great, great grandfather. And he was an executioner. He was a hangman. He was the head number one hangman of England. And uh, apparently he was... He uh, was good at it, huh? <laughs> he was good at it, yes. And uh, yeah. and he was uh, no, notorious for... Uh, like, like he had almost an obsession. Wow. With, he was... Um, it's an interesting thing when you look it up and then you yeah. look up... On uh, uh, Wikipedia, it has different, you know, personal life and stuff. And then it does later talk about Davy and Dynamite went on to to become um, famous wrestlers but this yeah. uh, great great grandfather was uh, I guess he was he was quite a beast and very hard on his his wife and um, and then he had the the grandfather uh, uh, Joe Billington who I never met him but I remember uh, his wife Nellie who uh, Ellen, but they called her Nellie. I remember meeting her in 1982, and what a sweet little thing. Um, but I think I think she went through hell with uh, Joe Billing, uh, uh, Joe Billington, um, the gra- her husband, mm-hmm. uh, and he probably learned what he did from the grandfather, or like yeah, passed it on, passed down. Yeah, yeah, like this is how you treat treat your wife, and uh, mm-hmm. but. Uh, Anyway, it was just a almost uh, like it was like a shocking, startling, astonishing that the that they're uh, for, you know not that distant, not that far away relative was uh, a hangman and yeah. and apparently loved it. So anyway, Davy's um, mom is this was a sweetheart, a real and like her mother Nellie, a mm-hmm. sweetheart, and I think Dave a dynamite's dad. I think took after the grandfather um, because I I think he was he might have been a little more um, 
just uh, cut and dry, you know, and yeah. uh, me, you're going to be a boxer and that that's it. And um, as I gathered, Dynamite was um, a phenomenal um, footballer in England. Oh, really? But, yeah, he was, I guess he had a great future if he wanted it with uh, any rugby, any football or soccer team. Uh, I think it was Manchester United at the time that was was the sure thing for him, but he, he was uh, getting into boxing. And then Ted Batley trained him, and, um, you know, and he went to Canada. And so uh, following in the footsteps was little David, the little cousin, uh, you know, living across the street from Dynamite. And I uh, got trained by Ted. And uh, I don't know that much about Dynamite's training with Ted, but I do know with Davies. Ted was... Um, pretty pretty root not ruthless pretty disciplined like mm-hmm. he had a um an immaculate acreage and an orchard and he grew all his own fruits and vegetables and he had a fruit round and um for work to repay the tuition for his training um davy and the other lads would clean the yard up so and you had to push mow it wasn't an electric mower or or gas mower, you push mode the, and it was like five acres, and you do it all oh. by hand. Yeah, and good it, workout. Yeah. yeah, and 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 uh, you know he'd want tree branches cut. You know he's like you, you get up there. You know you climb the tree by hand. Like even if it was a big tree and they had no branches till, you got to climb it like, you know, headlock it with your legs, scissor lock it and pull yourself up and then get up there and saw the branch off and uh then they and and ted would pull like do little tricks like to see if you were doing the work like he put one leaf behind a bush and he'd know if you had if that bush was if that leaf was still there he'd know that you you know and i don't know what what extra work he'd make you do but davy said he, he had to be on his toes you know he never took any shortcuts because Ted would always figure it out. But the mm. other guys, um, there was Bernie Wright, that's Steve Wright's brother, Bernard, but Bernie Wright was uh, one that seemed to always get caught doing the shortcuts. And, um, anyway, you know, Bernie and Steve, uh, Bernie and Davey were kind of married to each other in the early days with Ted's training in the barn. And I think, uh, Davey got his front teeth knocked out from Bernie doing a drop kick, and then he got uh, Bernie had him in a full Nelson, and they're wrestling on this old um, mat in the in a barn on Ted's property, and it just had like straw underneath it and some thin foam rubber. I, I don't know, how, or cotton like that. Yeah, old cotton mattresses were, but it was really unforgiving, and the canvas was. Um, like that old cotton, uh, like uh, sailcloth, and Bernie tripped, and uh, he had Davy in the full Nelson, and Davy, they went down. Davy's head went flat in, and he he uh, pulled all his neck muscles, but he couldn't move, and he thought he, they thought he broke his neck. Wow. He he just totally ripped all Bernie's weight on top of Davy's, even though they were kids. Yeah. Um. And then Bernie ran away, ran out. I mean, I'm not making fun of Bernie at all. I, 
I gather, though, he was just terrified that he had broken Davy's neck and he didn't know what to do. And so he he, he ran off and um, I don't know if he ran off to get help or he was just terrified of what was going to happen. But he left Davy in the barn and then Dave, uh, Ted came in and, you know, Davy is okay. He just said, you tore all your muscles around your neck. But... Um, you know, he, he and then when Davy had his very first match in England, he didn't know all this time he didn't know that a winner was determined beforehand. He was every oh, really everything was a shoot, huh? Everything was a shoot. Yeah. So so when I met Davy in, in um in the doorway at my dad's in the front room of my dad's house, Bruce brought him by uh just by coincidence it wasn't so I could meet him or anything it was Bruce just brought him by to I guess show him the house and they were on their way to Red Deer and uh I made pork chops and um like that I think that's what we were there was a it's just me and Owen and and actually things were a lot better uh with wrestling at that time so this time yeah Uh yeah so I that was I was making pork chops I made Davey uh Pork chops, corn, and rice, I think, and applesauce. And he had this big um, infection on his left arm. And uh, he had just come from Africa, wrestling in South Africa, with, uh, and his partner down there was Stephen Peacock, who uh, uh, took Davy to Soweto. And because um, Stephen was re- married to a girl from Soweto, so he was actually living there. But this was in 1981. That's a really you know, um, dicey time for a white guy to be in um, Soweto, mm-hmm. but he he had that instant the instant camera. Um, you take a picture and the film develops. Right. He was taking pictures and and uh, they people some of these people in Soweto were like almost thought he was magic and but he was just eighteen and uh, uh, just. You know, seeing the world, uh, maybe like my dad in uh, in a way, but um, he got bitten by something down there, and he had this infection. He uh, came back to Calgary, and I I spotted it like because I uh, I love you know little infections and getting slivers out and ingrown hairs. It kept Davies in my marriage. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> man, over the years there, right? Yeah, it mm. it did. I was like. There's like the little bird worse, on the alligator's yeah. back or whatever, cleaning it. <laughs> so um, I said, "Oh, do you do you want me to?" Uh, um, and I, you know, I Sean, I couldn't understand what he was saying. He talked that so accent, fast that and strong uh, Lancashire accent. Yeah, it, yeah. It, and it, but he was what he was saying was, um, <laughs> you know, I make him sound like he was illiterate, but I, I just. Maybe he was speaking fast, too, because he was told he wasn't supposed to talk to Stu's daughters, Dynamite, oh. apparently given him this uh, right from, for whatever reason. I don't the house rules. Yeah, he said, you don't talk to the Stu's daughters. Mm-hmm. And so Davey said, could you get me a plaster? And I said, yep, like, I'm on it. But I had no idea no what a plaster was. <laughs> And I was like, yeah, I be, and I ran upstairs and asked my mom, what uh, is a plaster? And that young wrestler downstairs has a, and my mom, of course, because she was so smart, she knew what it, she said, oh, it's a, a, a bandage, 
And a Band-Aid is different than a bandage. Yeah. A Band-Aid has the sticky and the bandage is the cloth. And yeah. Anyway, I uh, went down and fixed him up and uh, he seemed grateful. And I mean, I, I, it was love at first sight. O- honest to God, Sean, it was before I ever met him. I, I, I saw his picture and the letter from his dad and um, thought, it, wow, he's what a handsome guy and then I met him and yeah. it just like intensified and then I saw him wrestle and then it was there was no no turning back no looking back when was the first time though that when, uh, you kind of realized that he was uh, had sparked a little interest in you as well um <laughs> it was uh, about a month after six Six weeks after he came to Calgary, I uh, drove him home from the wrestling. I wasn't supposed to be at the wrestling, um, but my friend Allison and I suddenly started going as a she was uh, <laughs> she was a good sport about all that. Um, and I had this. My dad had given me this 1972 Eldorado convertible. It was light blue in pretty much perfect condition and um i went to the wrestling and uh davy had wrestled i don't know maybe second match or something he was just he's still making his uh you know getting to get getting going in the promotion and it wasn't like he just was you know handed main event you know he was just working his way through and um he said he wanted to watch the longest yard on TV, and he loved Burt Reynolds, and uh, that the movie was on on uh, CTV or uh, the right. local TV. And uh, I said, like, "I'll drive you home." <laughs> and uh, so I, I drove him home. It was pouring rain, and uh, he—I don't know if he had been in a car so big. I don't know what he drove around in with Brad, or if he was just, um, you know, putting me over. But it was pouring rain. But he's like, "Oh God, I can't believe you can drive a car this big. This is, this is massive." And and um, I drove him home, and he seemed to really uh, uh, appreciate it, and asked me some questions about his match, and just nothing, not nothing. Um, like not Hollywoodish here, right, where but you knew something he was yeah. interested. Yeah, and uh, and then you guys and, had to sneak around because nobody yeah. could really know this romance was starting to blossom. And how did yeah. you do that? <laughs> that was hard. I yeah. had to get Brett's help with that. Uh, really, Brett was in on it. Yeah, because uh-huh. Davy was at this point living at Brett's house. Uh-huh. He had been at Dynamite's house. Um, uh, but I don't think Dynamite was uh, honestly. I mean, I, you know, I'd like to speak because uh, I, 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 I think so much of Dynamite in in some ways, uh, yeah. and as when he and Davey were together and how they uh, they had each other's backs and stuff in the dressing room and uh, stuff. But there was always that Dynamite had that. that Dynamite was the older brother almost, and Davy mm-hmm. was the so, and then that was that that kind of mentality of that of their family, and 
I don't think Dynamite was always right in some of the things that he expected of Davey. And um, he pulled little tricks on Davey that were not nice. Mm-hmm. And uh, some of them were a- absolutely horrific. Um, but and th- this one I don't find horrific. I just think it was really um, mean. But, you know, like he, he would get... Uh, you know, get it, make Davy a cup of hot chocolate, and uh, this was when Davy was living with him, and he thinks his cousin is looking after him. You know, he like loves him. He's like idolized him. Yeah. He, he pretty much did for his whole life. But um, you know, it'll be a whole block of X-lax melted into the hot yeah. chocolate, yeah. and it's it's like Tom, why why? And he started to, um, and then and then Tom would give him a. Kind of dangerous, well, really dangerous things. He'd give him a, a halcyon or like a sleeping pill, and then tell him to drive the van up to my dad's house. And that's when he would see me, and he'd get up there, and he'd be like barely able to to keep his eyes open. And my dad was wondering what the hell was wrong with him, and almost like I kind of wondered if Tom was trying to, uh, because when when Davy came to Calgary when he first came. Um, uh, dynamite I mean it wasn't a big it's not um, wasn't well known but um, there was this little feud between the Billingtons and the Smiths um, Mm. and Dynamite's dad didn't want Davey getting into wrestling and he said there's only one wrestler and that's our Tommy and Mm. Dave and um, so Sid went ahead and took Davy to see Ted Batley anyway, and Davy learned with Ted Batley, and he also learned uh, beyond what Dynamite did, he also learned from uh, the Snake Pit at Billy Riley's, mm-hmm. um, which was in Wigan, but it was uh, the, the, all the catch-as-catch-can wrestling. Um, you know, it was really hard. Um, Marty Jones went there, um, Billy Robinson, and um, they called it the Snake Pit. Yeah, and um, uh, Ronnie Wood was another one that was part of that, and uh, so you know, D- Davy did, you know, have a, in my opinion, had more education in wrestling than yeah. than Dynamite did. But uh, Dynamite, um, you know, they always say pound for pound the best wrestler ever, and and he was, but I. There were things, I you know, just like there were things that Brett knew that Owen didn't know and vice versa. But um, there were things that Davey knew just because he, he always wanted to learn more. Everything that he did, he tried to, like he, he wanted to get bigger. He wanted to learn how Arnold Schwarzenegger did it. And, you know, Tom wasn't that interested in that. He just did his, he liked his, like he, he didn't want to experiment that much more than, he, he, you know, so do you think there was um, some uh, resentment that was always yeah. there because uh, you know he had a reputation for uh, for doing some of those things like you mentioned that was just over the line. It wasn't they weren't like Owen was a great had a great reputation as a as a river, but it was so good natured. It was you know yeah, funny. Yeah. But there yeah. were some people in uh, you know Billington had that reputation where it was it was he cruel. Did. There were things that he did yeah. that were just cruel. So that's right, Sean. But they you think were. there might have been something though between those two that, because of uh, 
Davy Boy's talent and uh, you know and how he and and certainly yeah. in the end too when he would be you know with his what he achieved. Yeah, and, Tom had that opportunity and he didn't want it. Yeah. Like, um, when they were they left like, again, you know, you do well. Davy left in '88 after the Rougeau thing, yeah. and you know, Davy. If you ask Jacques and Raymond about that. You know, D- Davy wasn't the one that had the heat. I mean, they they did no, have a no. faction in the dressing yeah. room, but it wasn't that Davy. They they did play play ribs on people, but um, Davy just didn't have that. Uh, yeah, I that, think uh, Tom had some of that executioner in him. I he did from the great grandfather. Yes, that's I know. <laughs> yeah. I believe that. Yeah. I, I and Davy didn't. He got the grandmother's side. Yeah. He, yeah. So um, I think Tom, if Davey had, uh, you know, ended up going back to England because he just, you know, hated it, I think Tom would have been quite happy with that. Mm. And I do think there was some motivation in the in the beginning, um, even though, you know, they Tom always seemed to, you know, incorporate Davey in some of his promos and stuff because they were – Tom was the heel and Davey was the baby face and they didn't right off the bat wrestle each other but it's like boy Smith when you uh, I know you're uh, sniffing around here for looking for a match for me I'm the world's champion the junior heavyweight champion and get in line baby and then you go on to talk about who the guy he was wrestling that week was probably Brad or Bruce or um, but you know he did he kept you know, he was uh, clever. You know, he kept it uh, maybe on the surface looking like, you know, Davey, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm pulling for you. I can always mention you in my – but at the same time, you know, he didn't hesitate to uh, shoe fly him as they call it, yeah. which was uh, X-laxing him or giving him, uh, you know, a halcyon. So yeah. he's driving where he can barely keep awake and uh, lots of speed and – he didn't know sometimes whether he's coming or going, and I I saw him like that, and I I didn't understand at the time. I was yeah. like, what? Yeah. I don't know what's wrong with you. And he's, but I I did figure it out. And but when so Davy was living at Dynamites, which was about five streets over from Brett's um, place, and Brett was living with Julie, who was ended up being his first wife, uh-huh. and Julie's sister to Michelle, who was Dynamite's wife. Yeah. And um, so um, I would go and see Davy, and you know it was Brett would never tell my dad uh, wow. that I was over there. But a few, you know, I, I did start asking if Davy could come for Sunday dinners, and my mom and dad were gracious and would say yes. But you know, then at the end of the night, it was like, well, Brett will drive him home. And, uh, <laughs> Right, but I mean, did uh, Stu like him though? Uh, uh, he he did right like off? him yeah. as um, he re- liked him as as a, a performer, and um, always thought Davy was very straightforward. With if he ever had a problem, he'd go right to my dad, and he knew Davy wasn't a troublemaker in the dressing room. Um, he didn't have any bad habits. He he, he was a good a good kid, you know, and then. Yeah. But Stu, but Stu probably because he knew the business, uh, he knew how tough a business it could be. I, I imagine just as a father, uh, regardless that he's like, oh, you know, I don't want 
my kids to marry wrestlers. But at the same time, what else does he expect to happen when that's your world? You know? <laughs> yeah. You know? I know. I know. It was, um, it was, I, I wonder sometimes what, what went on in my mom's and dad's bedroom when they <laughs> finally at the end of the night when they could talk yeah. privately because sometimes I would come in late at night and my dad would be so mad yeah. and uh and we I I don't have them anymore but he you know he'd left me a note once on my door because I got in late yeah. and uh he was just on a piece of paper in my dad's handwriting about, uh, I am very disappointed in you for getting, you know, um, uh, I rate what your mother and I raised you to be, uh, uh, you know, have more, uh, dignity and you getting uh, in this time of night. I yeah. mean, uh, it must've been obvious. Uh, well, in his mind, uh, you know, what else would we be doing other than, you know, maybe, Having a, a a hot and heavy uh, petting session in the yeah. in the car, like what? Yeah. But but um, we we were uh, pretty. Uh, we did have a, like what's of. It's not like right 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 off the bat, you know. We but that we were that was a long uh, a long, long courtship. There was yeah. it. Uh, there was. Um, yeah. And it didn't, and uh, where it finally got, uh, you know, where my dad was saying, suggesting things that hadn't even happened yet, but it may be in his right. eyes, my mom's uh, imagination that, you know, Davey and I were, you know, trying to start a family in the backseat of the car or right. something. And that's like, not, that's not, that's not where, where we are. And, you know, I was really defensive of Davey and um, the more, uh, the more uh, intense it got, the more it pushed me to Davy, and yeah. uh, I did eventually fly to England because Davy's visa expired, um, and he had to go back to England, and he went to Australia to do some work for um, uh, Steve Rackman, and then uh, came back, and I flew, which I knew I was going to do in November when day for Davy's birthday in 1981 when he turned 19 it was a funny weird birthday present but i gave him a ticket for me to come to england in yeah for easter because uh -huh. i knew be you know it was i i you know a weird present kind of a conceited one and if you maybe didn't want me coming to england <laughs> to, to see him but i uh -huh. i had saved up and i i had the present brought to him at a Chinese restaurant in a under the tray and I was under this like silver dome and I was trying to explain to the waiter to give this ticket and he's like what like he hardly spoke English and um where it finally did get to the table but I was like getting almost like ready to uh you know like <laughs> you almost ruined your own surprise yeah, yeah. <laughs> what was it like, though, to be a, a WWF superstar's wife at the time? Because I remember those schedules those guys would, would get, and I had a you know a wonderful conversation with Harry uh, from his perspective of growing up. But a lot of people don't uh, know what that life was like in, in many ways because these guys would be on the road, and you said you did get to travel some, but I imagine once you had the kids, 
it was tougher. And they'd be what, uh, I don't know, they'd be three weeks on, they'd be home for a few days and they're back out there. And, and they had to ride that, that wave. Uh, yeah. What was that like for you? And I, were you, were you, did, I imagine you were still in Calgary. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It was, um, it was hard, uh, particularly after Georgia was born. Mm-hmm. Um, I got really bad uh, postpartum, um, but, I, you know, I didn't know that's what it was then. But um, I, I just missed Davey, like, like it was... Yeah, what was the schedule like then? Uh, it was so hard. Like they, they, um, they try. You know, like he'd come home and he, he, you know, try to be, uh, you know, like put. I don't say he was. It wasn't real, but you know, put a game face on for you know, because I made macaroni. It's like, you know, it's it was hard because they, they're eating in restaurants all the time like they need things right away and then they come home and and in a way it is like relaxing but um they had, it was a lot of you know like you you have to get to say you know well this is real life like that's not fair to say that to to Davey yeah. because that actually wasn't his real life his yeah, real life right. was, yeah so to say, well, you know what, you know, but he was, he was really good with, you know, he'd spend as much time as he could with Harry and Georgia and like, he was a, a doting dad and, you know, he, he wanted to, like, he was there for everything he could be, you know, changing uh, diapers. Of course, that was never any, uh, any issue for him or giving Harry and Georgia baths and stuff, but. But uh, I yeah, that schedule is brutal, though. I, it, I mean, am I, I'm trying to remember back because I didn't, I wasn't on the road like they were. But I know that they would do, you know, two weeks on, and then they might be home for three days, and then they're back out for. Uh, oh, and, and Calgary wasn't an easy place to get to. And a lot of the guys no. lived in in the United States. That was easier to get to the cities, but to try and a lot of their dates were in the states, and then to yeah. try and get to Calgary, I can't imagine that was easy. Yeah, I and I'm not making excuses yeah. for the Rucho thing, but um, I have a feeling that everybody was at their wits' end around that time, and then uh, you know, and, and I believe the Rucho's were trying to get get a flight out. Um, they they wanted to, they arranged so they could get on earlier, so they could get their red red yeah. eye to get back to Montreal, which and Davy and Dynamite couldn't. They had to stay for the last match or the main event or something, or they had the belt. So I can't remember what, if they had the belts at that time or not, yeah. probably, probably not J- Jim and Brett might've, but anyway, um, you know, and they didn't get the red eye, they'd have to stay overnight and then get the flight in the morning and then get themselves home to Calgary mm-hmm. and, you know, later that day. So they've, they've lost to one day of their, you know, three or, or you know, week off that they've got. And, yeah. you know, time is of, uh, of of so much value so they they just it it was so hard and their bodies didn't get a chance to recuperate um and it was just so so stressed out and they you know they they just didn't they were like machines you know just work work them till till they can't go anymore and it was 
it's and then that's not any negativity towards it it was how it was for everyone um you know I, I think moving to florida was a very good idea and by that time the schedules in the 90s the schedule had um kind of taken had been, been revised a, a little bit but boy that there was only a handful of them brett owen uh davy and dynamite that that lived up here you know and they it was hard getting in and out of calgary yeah. and I, I i just don't know how they did it um you know and then for anyone that you know knocks them or what they they did how they survived on the road at that time it's like well i don't know how you know how how anyone else would have done it and yeah. I, i'm not well you wonder why you know you, you have to understand why how many of them uh ended up being uh, having uh chemical problems and, and yeah. drinking problems because you mentioned how their bodies are beat to crap. They're, you know, that means it's, it's like it, I always describe it as like getting in a car accident every day. And then you've yeah. got to, you know, you got to keep your body in shape. So you got to find a gym, uh, you know, get on these flights and then uh, you've got to get yourself up so that you can perform that night. And then you got to come down so you get some sleep because if you don't get some sleep, you know, it's just this continuous cycle. Yeah. And it, it does, it takes its toll. And uh, it's, it's amazing that, uh, well, it certainly isn't. I mean, why we've lost so many? Because yeah. you, they can't. You can't keep doing that to your machine. And and but you know, it's like you sell sell your uh, soul to the devil. That you know, it's it's the most unbelievable time in your life. You're going to make the money, the more money that you could ever imagine. You're going to have fame that uh, that few in a lifetime will ever experience. But there is a price. Yeah. Yeah, that's very well said yeah. that's that's um that's and, true and, and you had to and, and talking about your children too and then I, I mentioned the conversation I had with harry you had to feel for him i mean you knew kind of about the business i i'm sure you didn't you know had never experienced what you had to with davy as far as his travel schedule but you know harry just wanted his dad and i'm sure that uh, georgia was the same way that you know they want their dad around but he's he's earning a living he wants to take care of them uh how tough was that? I mean, in some ways, I guess you had to be the dad too. Yeah, I, that's true. I, I'm, I, when I always refer to Davy as Davy, and when we see him on TV, it's like, oh, there's Davy, and you know, you hear Gorilla Monsoon or Billy Red Lion yeah. saying, uh, Davy. So Harry and George always called him Davy, and I, a few people have said that they they thought that was. You know, you always hear just that whatever the one negative thing is, and you know, everyone else is saying good things. But you know, they thought that was a bit disrespectful uh, to Davy. It, it wasn't meant to be disrespectful. Right. Just always knew him as as uh, Davy. And um, but I, I yeah, I was the the kind of the disciplinarian and the the one that you know, was evidently feeding them the, well, I was the one feeding them the cod liver oil and at the school meetings <laughs> right, and yeah. um, trying to, uh, in a way, I, I was desperately trying to be my mom, um, where I, you know, hold it all together, yeah. except like my mom was, uh, well, she had my dad there, uh, and my dad 
helped with a lot of things. You know, Davy just was not was not home, and the, you know, like things like trying to do the right things with money and trying to invest it properly. And we did do a lot of um, good things with with our our money, but then you know, the economy fell apart in the '80s up here, and no matter what we could have done, it just seemed like. You know, and, and then people are always, you know, you get the Monday morning quarterbacks that, mm. you know, what did you do? And then, you know, whatever, we, we got back on top again in the 90s and then things again went, went uh, took a downward spiral. But some things that um, we did do that I was really proud of and I thought Davey was so innovative and, well... I, I, you know, I was a part of it. Um, again, like I'm trying, I was always trying to have us be like my mom and dad and, you know, we're too diff, we're diff- different than my mom and dad. So it wasn't a, a fair, um, uh, role for me to expect Davey to just, just fulfill the role of, uh, of my dad. Cause, um, you know, it's just different, you know, to think that, well, my dad never never took it, never drank, or never took a a pill, or never. Yeah. You know, it's it's not fair to put that on anybody else. My dad was that that was my dad, and you know, I'm not my dad. I've taken things that and that my dad wouldn't or didn't, and I've done things that my dad didn't and wouldn't. And same with that my mom like i'm not i'm not uh i couldn't fill their boots mm-hmm. but um uh we start davy and i started a clothing line business it was called bulldog gear and that was a a big you know like we were always trying things you know davy was quite supportive and uh, this clothing line was um uh all with velcro which like a velcro waistband so um you you could control the waistband only there was no buttons or zippers or anything it was just just velcro and in the the middle of the waistband was um a logo of a bulldog and it said bulldog gear and then the the cuffs of the pants were um velcro too so you could get them on and off your your shoes if you didn't want to take your shoes off like if you had um combat boots or or uh, I don't know. It's just something that seemed neat at the time. We, yeah. They were a, a cotton, and then we had the shirts that were everything was very boxy and loose, loose fitting. Uh, other than the waistband was, you could tighten it. Right. And um, kind of like the Zubas. Remember, remember how popular Zubas was? Yeah. So it's kind of, you can, yeah. yeah. So did it, it? Was it successful? I mean, did it, you? It did go. Uh, we got it in a few stores up here. Mm-hmm. Uh, at uh, one store is called Sport Check, and they they kind of liked that it was um, a homegrown or you know a local product and, and different and and also a, a local celebrity you know yeah. the British yeah. bulldog. And then um, we also got oh, and then we did some autograph sessions, which were really funny with uh, Davy, Chris Benoit, Bruce, and Ross. And that was oh, and and Beef Wellington, you know, and they're the only two alive now are uh, Bruce and Ross. The rest are are gone. Mm-hmm. But um, 
Japan, Mrs. Baba took took them on. She said she would let Davy bring bring them to uh, Japan and sell them. So we had got found somebody in Calgary to make them, and uh, you know we we if we had kept going with it, it's just uh, we it was just a hard thing. Uh, it was at the kind of the end of the end of Davies and Dynamite's time together in Japan, and then Davy was. Um, yeah, it's kind of like their divorce in yeah. a way. And, and um, we decided we were going to move to Florida. And are, are you talking about, the, I mean, 88, that period when after the yeah. show incident? That, yeah, 88 to 90. And, uh, and, Davey, and you know, you, you, you talk about, I mean, that, that they had this meteoric, um, uh, meteoric rise uh, in the WWF. I mean, it was just incredible. And then it, that happened and it was kind of came crashing down. Uh, were you disappointed that that Davy left as well? It maybe felt this loyalty to Tom, um, or was it time? No, I was. Uh, I. I don't know how this will sound, Sean. I don't. Yeah. I don't want to sound like I'm a diva or anything, but I I was thinking of, of my family, I of Harry and Georgia, and had talked to my dad about it. Mm-hmm. And I did not want Davy to. I didn't want either of them to leave yeah. WWF. And um, Davy and Dynamite were. Uh, Davy said, "I have to do what Dynamite says." And I, I was like, "Well, why? Uh, like, have, everything's so why, good. Yeah. Let's... Why, why do you guys? You know, why? Why does he get? Uh, you know, a thousand dollars a week more than you get in Japan, and like that was." That came later mm-hmm. after the WWF. They were WWF. I, I imagine they were getting the the exact same salaries. Right. But um, I I didn't. We had a uh, over three thousand dollar mortgage a month. Well, in Calgary. Wow. I don't making U.S. money, but we're paying in Calgary because that's how it was. And you pay more for taxes up here. You pay forty percent if you're in a certain income bracket unless you're incorporated and we didn't know any of these things and mm-hmm. you know, we we just just got involved with somebody that around uh 86 that was trying to end of 86 so this would be go, going into 87 with um helping us with our money but um he was <laughs> he was the shits mm-hmm. he was he he's like well you pay 40 percent and we'll get you incorporated and that's when davy did trademark the name bulldogs and dynamite didn't want to mm-hmm. it's like well you know it's going to cost this much money and it takes like a year or more than that and he he tom wanted no part of it he thought we were uh wasting our time and money but uh we did do it and um uh but boy we were just you know, and Davey's spending as much on the road as we're spending on the mortgage. So the end of the month, like, you know, if you're bringing 10000 a month home and you're spending, you know, 7000 just in expenses, yeah, expenses, you know, home and road, and that's like being conservative. 
like like our phone bill was a thousand a month because she didn't that that's there was one phone company in Calgary at that time Alberta government telephones and uh, Davy and I were like you know always having these heart to hearts every night so we were close and we missed each other and it was like if we spend a thousand a month to talk but it keeps us together versus wrestlers that don't even call their wives and yeah. then the, like so. Anyway, you know, you're left with, you know, a couple of thousand dollars at the end of the month. And it's like we're, we're and, and they're breaking their necks, you know, on, on this brutal schedule. Um, so, they, but at, having said that, um, I didn't, our mortgage wasn't going to change just because they left WWF. And uh, Davey and Dynamite said, well, Davey kept saying, I have to do it because Tom, you know, I, I owe this to Tom. And I was like, well, you don't, you know, you owe it to us too. But uh, he said, no, no, it'll, uh, no. But listen, you know, Diana, it'll be all right because we're going to work for your dad. and We're going to bring the territory back up where it used to be. And then my dad, on the other hand, is saying, um, you know, as much as I appreciate their help and the territory is uh, struggling, I don't want their help. I want them to stay because yeah. for their own good, yeah. they need to stay in with Vince yeah. and get over this, you know, as my dad called it, the horse shit ribbing. Yeah. <laughs> and um, he said it's – and just get get back to business and um, you're not going to get a better deal than what um, – Vince is gonna, is giving you and just stick with him and you know, it's gonna and what what and dynamite was so goddamn headstrong at the time yeah. and had about everything and uh so so they finished up and um you know and then things they came back to Calgary and you know they had these uh guarantees I think a thousand a week which each and my dad was trying his best to, you know, give them, you know, that that was a lot of money then. You know, like I don't know guys nowadays in these in yeah, but they were making more than that uh, with WWF oh, yeah. by far. Oh, by far, like yeah. more than double that. And then you get the royalty check, and right. yeah. you know, it's just it it was it did not make any financial sense to yeah. have them do that. But Tom was, uh, I think it was kind of like, you know, he wanted to show that he didn't need WWF and right. he was so mad about the thing with the Rujos and you know, it actually, I mean, it did affect Davey, but Davey isn't the one who had his teeth knocked out. I know that, uh, did a lot of mental damage to, to Tom, but, um, well, the humiliation of that too. And that's, and then he was gone. Uh, so yeah. He, what what led to that final divorce with those with the two of them though? What what finally got Davy away from him? Oh, you know what? It, it so you know Thomas was so you know like so many things. It's like even when he got accused of the whole rib thing that was Kurt Hennig who did it, but with the Rougeos in the bag and but it's like just get over it. Like don't worry about it. It's like but um. Again, you know, the schedule and stuff, like everybody was thinking with such, they were just like wound up so tight. Um, so they went to New Japan. Um, they're doing a tour over there, and I know Tom is getting more uh, 
I guess lighter as the months go on. He's just not, and I think that all had to do with the the Rougeau thing. He had this mental block. Um, but he sold his land in uh, Springbank. He had I think twenty acres. He had a big ranch out there, and uh, he sold it. Amazingly, that he was able to sell it. He got a good price for it, and he and Michelle bought a house for cash in. That's uh, Michelle uh, Dynamite's wife bought a house for cash out in in Cochrane, this little town, this beautiful little town outside of Calgary. Paid cash and had uh, a good chunk in the bank. And um, meanwhile, Davy and I are, you know, have this house that we bought when we were, you know, in the Halcyon days, sort of you know, making all this money, but a three thousand dollar a month mortgage and. It's like okay, well, Tom, that's okay for you uh, making a thousand a month because you you own your house cash and you got a a big like a quarter of a million dollars or something in the bank. Like we we don't have that. We're like living we don't have it, you know. So and also um, Tom, I don't know if he had been up to date with his income taxes and he just didn't seem bothered. I don't know, but we. It was just that came back to get him too. So he he had his idea of how this would end, and I think in his idea it didn't include Davy. And but at the same time, I I think Tom's idea was I'll leave Canada, but that wasn't going to work for Davy and me. And and right. Tom never came out right with that. Um, he didn't say you know Davy I'm I'm leaving Canada. I'm not going to pay my taxes, and you know good luck that 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 didn't happen but i'm just reading in between the lines that, so they're in in japan in the dressing room and uh, for for uh all japan um i think uh i don't know if baba was alive or if it was just mrs baba um i think it, it was mrs baba anyway uh vince mcmahon flew out there to do uh to do a they were doing a show out there or something or he was scouting, or I, I'm not sure what what brought Vince there, but he was in the dressing room and saying hi to everyone, and uh, probably a business meeting with with the promotion. And um, he goes over to Dynamite, and I think that was just because Dynamite was there first. And he said something along the lines of "Hi, uh, hello, Tommy," and um, you know, and I, you know, I, would you ever like to come back to, to work with the company? And Tom said, I guess Tom bl just blatantly said, fuck off. Wow. Like, just like that in front of everyone. And Vince just was like, all right. Um, he didn't, you know, it's just like water off a duck's back. But in my opinion, it's even if you did have a, I actually, I don't even know what Vince did to Tom. You know, he took care of him when he got the teeth out. He he tried to pacify everybody as well as he could. I don't know what Vince actually did that Tom had such bitterness, but yeah. Vince just was like, okay. So I think that that was in not, I just think it was in bad taste to do that. But so Tom made it, made his, uh, took his stance there. And I guess he figured Davey, um, as usual, would have to do it, you know, following Tom's footsteps. So Vince goes over to Davey and, you know, hey, hey Davey, you know, you're looking good. You know, how, how's it been? And he said, uh, how, you know, do you ever 
think about coming back. Uh, you know, the door is open. And Davey said, yeah, I'd like that. You know, thank you. Um, thank you, Vince. And basically that, you know, it wasn't yeah. like he, you know, kissing Vince's feet or, you know, you know, running up and, you know, hey, Vince, you know, uh, can I – like he wasn't right. he but was I bet just, he, he missed it. I mean, I'm sure that uh, he knew that that was uh, that was the place to be. Yeah, he, you yeah. know, going over to Japan and you know, and that was hard over there too. Wrestling yeah. Terry Gordy and Stan Hansen and Steve Williams and these Japanese that want to uh, you know have a shoot with you every night because right. you know the guy jeans, you know the right. the whites and and uh, oh, you know, it's just just a uh, it, it it's hard everywhere, you know. Yeah, but no the, kidding. Might were were really they they did did put their bodies out there for for the the professional wrestling business. You know, they really right. want it meant a lot to them to have people believe them. They you know they yeah. you wouldn't you, they wouldn't be accused of having a you know you know a little delicate little match. Right. You know, that, but but. Uh, Tom took this as a slight that uh, yeah. Davey, that Davy would even you know consider or talk not do the same yeah. thing he did to Vince. That's right, and he just it was almost like he was uh, sleeping with the enemy, and mm-hmm. you know, Vince wasn't the enemy. He's actually offering them both a, yeah a, an alternative or, or a way out or whatever you want to however you want to look at it. But in my eyes, it was a way out because. Um, I don't know how much time Tom had actually in wrestling. Like if you if you look back, that was like eighty nine ninety. You know, he didn't he didn't wrestle much more after that. He had a few few tours over there with Johnny Smith, but he didn't do much. And then you know, Davey had had a whole life ahead of him. You know, he had yeah. SummerSlam ninety two. He had the uh, European title, and he had the Heart Foundation, and he had the big angle with Warlord and Berserker, and yeah. um, you know he he had uh, a whole other life ahead of yeah. him. Sing- yeah, singles he did so tremendously well, and 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 we got the idea. So when Dynamite and Davey got off the airplane, I we were all we were there. Um, Michelle was there and I was there and at that time you could see them pretty much as they were different setup at the older airport that's fixed up differently now but you you could see them pretty close after they got off the plane and so I said hi to Tom and you know gave Davey a hug and had Harry and Georgia with me and then Tom was kind of uh, you know high and made out like things were fine, but I could tell he was just a little bit, um, had his nose out of joint about something. Um, and I pretty much knew cause Davey told me on the phone from Japan that Vince had been there and Tom didn't like it, that Davey had talked to Vince, you know, and was indicating that he wanted to go back there and he, but I didn't, you know, I, I just figured Tom would uh, come around, but at the same time, you know, if if Vince had said at that point, "Well, I don't want Tom; I just want Davy," I wouldn't have blamed Vince. But whatever. Uh, uh, well, when they got off the plane, Tom just seemed a little 
bit cold with me, but he was fine, you know, a little, you know, polite, but short. And then I never saw him again. And then he went home and uh, uh, he decided he was going to raise turkeys. It's like, you know, okay, Tom, if you want to raise turkeys, but whatever. And um, he just seemed to, uh, you know, and that was it. And mm-hmm. then, then they, I read it, I I read it in Dynamite's book. He has something about me hiding Davy's passport because they had a big Saudi Arabia tour or something. And it's like I, that never happened. I don't recall that at all. But my last um, recollection of Tom was at the airport after the tour, which was when Vince approached them in the dressing room. And I don't recall Dynamite and Davy doing doing much after that together they might have had the odd phone call but um hmm. that was the we, end of it huh that was the end of it and there was no big fight or uh harsh words or anything it was just just like that we're we're done and then davy did run some tours after wembley when he left wwf he did his own thing over there for a while and tom showed up at one of the shows and before Davey got there and made a fool of himself by, you know, calling out Davey's mom and dad at the merchandise table. And I think he was um, inebriated and mm. just not, uh, you know, just being stupid. And then he had a beat up Davey's brother, um, Terrence. Oh, really? Uh, over, you know, just, again, not being of a sound mind saying... I'm the real wrestler in the family, and huh. that's like what. Bitter. And it's uh, sad. Yeah, stupid things. Uh, just you know, but then at the at the end of of it all, you know, when I I think about you know, like if Davey hadn't died as young as he had, you know, I I think he would have gone over to see Dynamite and. Especially when Dynamite got sick, yeah. to see that he was doing okay. I I really do believe that. Even if Tom had never phoned him, or I just think that Davey would have. Um, just that's maybe I'm uh, romancing things too much, but I I I don't think that Davey had the same um, animosity or bitterness that that dynamite had at the mm. and then as dynamite got worse and worse i think he started to feel like maybe he had made some bad choices but um you know maybe at that point he wasn't even able to verbalize it because his speech and stuff was gone yeah. i just have a lot of i'm grateful to dynamite for for um so much but i, I do remember a lot of things that just you know how my how li- lives could have been different if um but you know yeah. Salem. yeah and uh you know you mentioned those years when he went back and it really some great great times but uh you know and i've kept you for so long as it is but i i did want to talk about that uh that year uh 92 in wembley and there's so much there's so many stories about what happened that summer and uh of course the match itself but um 
I, I don't really know what, like, Brett's version is that he had tried to get a hold of Davey all summer because they had, you know, uh, had visualized this match and he knew it could be one of the greatest matches ever. Um, I, I, I want to hear it from you, but I know that I think that, you know, they talked that he had a staph infection. I don't know if he was doing painkillers, if that's what was uh, keeping him not communicating. But what happened that summer? And then uh, we'll get into that match because, to me, people ask me, what do I think the greatest matches I ever saw? That, to me, is one of the greatest. And I don't know how they pulled it off, but, boy, did they. So first yeah. tell, me, tell me what happened that summer. What was going on with Davey? Because, uh, you know, according to Brett, he, he kept trying to get a hold of him, and they did not speak about this match until, I guess, the day before in England. At, uh, so, Yeah, well... I don't know what Brad is talking about with that. Um, I really, I don't know uh, where he came up with that. And um, I mean, you've heard was, the story, right? I mean, that he yeah. said that he didn't talk to him really the whole summer, so that they didn't even go over this match till that, like the day before. So, well, that that may that may be true. They didn't go over the match the day be, till the day before, but I don't know that back then that um guys were going over matches um like i remember hearing about ricky steamboat and randy savage needing to go you know rehearse their big match for the pontiac silverdome and davy and dynamite and brett well okay i won't speak for brett Mm -hmm. i'll just davy and dynamite were scoffing about that that you know professionals don't need to be uh you know and that they never did, and, you know. That was, you know, Dory Funk didn't need to fly in and rehearse a match with Billy Robinson to, to go an hour. You just go out and do it. So I, I was, not aware of anybody back then needing, uh, especially when they, you know, were familiar with each other for as long as Brett and yeah. Davey had been, that they would need to go over the match. Uh, you but, know, but what was going on with Davey that at that time during that summer yeah. was it? Well, it was uh, it was horrible. Um, I had flown up to Calgary to do uh, um, promos for the uh, the fight, or you know, the big match. Right. Um, and I'd been waiting all summer, or all waiting to go up to Calgary because uh, I was living in Florida and I was homesick. Um, and it was like July Fourth or something, and we just Harry and Georgia finished school, and we had barely been in Calgary long at all, and um, it was like uh, uh, Monday, mm-hmm. and Davey called me, and he said, uh, called me at my mom's and dad's, and said he didn't didn't feel well, mm-hmm. and uh, he thought maybe I should come home. And I, I was, he said I wrestled Mike Sharp yesterday. Uh, this was in uh, Salem, Massachusetts, and he said I, I. Uh, I banged my knee, but I don't know, I don't know what I did, you know, if it's, you know, he's just so really vague and kind of clueless, and, mm-hmm. and uh, then, so then they drove her to Portland, Maine, I think that's where they were doing, uh, uh, Salem, Massachusetts, and then they were going to uh, Portland, Maine, or something like that, it was Salem, Massachusetts, where he hit his, banged his knee, mm-hmm. what happened when he banged his knee is that he triggered, he got a staph infection, um, which it doesn't, um, you don't have to have your skin broken open to get a, a, 
um, an internal staph infection. You it uh -huh. can growing from the inside, which is like the flesh eating disease. Yeah. In 1992, no one knew what that was, and mm -hmm. who knows how it could have happened. I mean, it could have gotten into him from that. It, like the strain could have gotten into him from, you know, all the times that he got cut in his time wrestling or could have been from that mosquito or the, the infected insect bite in Africa or something yeah. that happened when he was growing up in England. Like, but they, they say it's dormant in everybody. You've got this and, and you know, it's, it can fester, it can ignite. Uh, and no, you know, if we knew why, then we could figure out how to stop it. But, Anyway, he just he told me when he did the power he did a running power slam on big Iron Mike Sharp, who's a giant, yeah. and he said he could feel his knee, and it's like oh, kind of like when you bang your elbow and yeah. it goes hot. And he thought, okay, so the next day he's just got this like terrible fever. He's sweating. He goes to TV, and Vince was like, "What? What's wrong with you? You don't look well at all." And Davey's like, I, I don't know. And he goes, well, go to the hospital. Because Davey's saying, I think I banged my knee yesterday. Mm -hmm. Well, go go to the hospital and, and get it checked out. Because you, you, um, and so he went, they did x-rays, they didn't see anything. And they said, well, you know, you seem fine. He gets back and, and he's just getting like, like uh, it's compounding how sick he's getting. Mm -hmm. Getting worse and worse. So Vince sees him. And he said, Davey, you better go home. You you look terrible. Go home and get some rest. And so he goes home. And um, uh, so Davey had called me from on Monday. And now, now he's home on Tuesday. And um, Jim Neidhart picked him up at the airport. Jim wasn't with WWF at that time. I'm not sure what he was doing, but he wasn't he wasn't on their roster. Yeah. And um, uh Jim notices Davy feels Davy looks terrible, and his leg is really hot, and his like he looks like he's got like scarlet fever or something. Uh -huh. And Jim takes him right away to his um, his friend, Doctor Doug Price, who's a chiropractor. But he's right off the airport um, when they when they drive home, and so Land Lakes is is like an hour from the airport, and this is kind of on the way home. Uh, so you stop in at Doug Price's um, All-American Chiropractor, and Doug is like, oh, man. You know, he's he's a really smart guy. He's a, um, you know, he's a chiropractor, but that doesn't mean that he, you know, doesn't know a sick person just because he fixes backs. He's like, man, you look – there's something really wrong with you. And he did x-rays again and couldn't see anything um, out of the ordinary – but he said, I'm going to take you to see my friend, um, Dr. Blackburn in um, Brooksville or Spring Hill. Mm -hmm. So that's another hour past Land O'Lakes. And um, do, uh, but they, so they, this is all being um, arranged. And I, I, so anyway, Davey gets home and he calls me and he says, you've got to come home. And I, I said, why? What, what, what's happened? I, I just talked to you. You were getting X-rays on your knee, and now now you're, and he, and he sounded so weak, and he said you you need to come home, and then Ellie, my sister Ellie called me, and she's like, "Die! I don't know what's wrong with Davy, but you better come home." She said I I think he's dying, he's got something wrong with him, so uh, I we 
Harry, Georgia, and I got on a flight, went back to, to Florida, and then went out the next day to see this doctor in uh, Spring Hill, uh, Dr. Blackburn, and he looked at Davey, and it was almost like like he could see it in his face. Like It was almost like he had this... Like wow, this is what I read about in my textbook, and you you know second year of med school, you know the fasciitis, uh, you know streptococci B or something. And he's mm. like, he didn't know actually, but he just like suspected wow, something was yeah. He's an like infection. this, is, and he he said, uh, I don't know, I, and he you could I could tell that the doctor was concerned, and he didn't even know Davy, but he knew. Doug Price, Dr. Doug Price, and Jim was there, um, and we're all in this little room, and um, he gets this big syringe, and he filled it up. He might have had more than one, but it was full of antibiotics, and it was like a horse syringe, and he he said, I'm putting every, every antibiotic in here that I can, because you got to, um, like a you know, a badass infection, and and I hope, I pray to God, one of these will work. Because mm. so he, and when he was going in with the needle, his big long needle, it was I fainted. He's putting and this I, into his knee. Yeah. Oh. And his knee was was quite fat, but uh. Uh, but I fainted. Uh. And that that's how I, it was, because I'm I'm not squeamish about things like that. I I love in, you know, I like you know, in, in infections and helping out with yeah. that. And I, I passed out <laughs> and I, I, and you know, I don't know what happened, you know, they, someone picked me up and then uh, they carried on and, and put more stuff in. And, and then Dr. Blackburn said, I just hope he said, I got about 20 antibiotics in there and I just pray to God, one of them will work until we find out what is going on. And I've taken, uh, samples and i'm going to get them back from the lab as soon as i can which was another day mm -hmm. but i just and then uh, the next day he said you got the flesh-eating disease streptococci b or something yeah. uh nectar ne ne so it's it eats from the inside Ugh. inside out and it's trying to get to your heart so it's uh eats the uh uh, like it, it, it starts like so. Where the infection was is at the knee, but it's it's racing its way up to your heart. So it's it's like gobbling up, like it's a bacteria. Mm. And um, um, he said you can't exercise because if you do, that's going to stimulate the knee, and you're going to feed the bacteria, like you know, give it blood and oxygen or whatever. I don't yeah, know what. Yeah goes what's in your blood that if, if like oxygen is in but anyway the blood goes is gonna get down there and then it's gonna start like like oh lunch like oh we got food again Feast. so he said oh, no yeah like wow he's he's uh you know he's he's running he's doing weights he's walking he said you gotta lay uh be you know as, as still as you can no hot don't don't take a hot shower. Don't do anything to stimulate it. Uh, maybe go in your pool if it's cool, which it was okay because it was summer Florida. It wasn't like 
like how it would be in the winter. But so basically, Davy was on um, a diet of these of some of the antibiotics that he got in the first place. That I think there were a couple that were working, thank God, and then a bunch of other ones. And then he kept uh, kind of tinkering with the with them and uh and that that's what happened and i don't recall brett phoning our house in florida um it was summer so harry and georgia weren't in school and we would have been home because davy wouldn't and i was there i wasn't i wasn't anywhere else but home with davy mm-hmm. and i would have heard the phone ring i if brett had phoned i would have answered the phone and you know there's absolutely no way that if Davy had been out doing uh, drugs, you know, that I would have just been like, you know, la di da, you know, biggest mm-hmm. match of your career, and and Vince wouldn't have been uh, that complacent about it either. Um, he had phone calls, but I don't recall, uh, you know, any, you know, where the phone was ringing and we just weren't answering it, and I don't recall Davy not taking calls from Brett. I just don't recall, you know, Brett making a, a habit of phoning, um, you know, every, every other day to go over the match or even see how Davey was. It was just like, you know, Davey was recovering and we were back and forth to, uh, Spring Hill to see Dr. Blackburn. And, um, we were just at home with him. And then we flew to England, um, when his leg was well enough for him to fly, mm. but again he couldn't he couldn't exercise. So Davey yeah. was saying, you know, I, I'm yeah. You know, I was gonna he, say, what kind of condition was he? In, yeah, when he got there. He, uh, you he know, was, you look at the you look at the, the the match. He doesn't look really out of shape. I mean, he still looked good. But, yeah, but I can't. What, what kind of shape was he in? Like you said, he couldn't do anything. No, he he was um, he just it was like. Like he was bedridden, and uh, you know he, he he didn't get fat. I don't recall him really wanting to eat that much, but you know he did. I think with all the hard work he did when he was training all those years, like when he would get sick, it didn't just he didn't go down to nothing. You know, in a matter of a couple of weeks, like he he's his muscle mass and stuff was well earned, and um. And when we we got to England, um, try to think we, we Harry Georgia, me and Davy, his mom and his dad, and um, we just oh yeah we had uh, he had some new gear made that was um, kind of in the works that we got picked up just before we went to to uh, England, and then we spent about. Um, 10 days over there beforehand with Sid and Joyce, that's Davy's mom and dad. And again, he was, he was just not able to work out or do anything. And he kept saying, you know, I, I hope I don't, you know, blow up in the ring, you know, like that, yeah. that was his big concern. And then when we were in England, I don't recall Brett, um, phoning more than once. Like, and but, then, yeah, but, um, Diana, when you look at that, that match and regardless of how it really went down, I mean, Brett, uh, 
you know, uh, Davey had not been in the ring for a while. That, uh, besides the fact, you know, that he was not uh, professional for so long. But when you're not in the ring, it's it's tough to just step back in there. And, uh, you know, Brett says that he kind of called the match or, uh, and that Davey, you know, said, I'm, I'm fucked when he went in there and said, but how do you think, because I've watched that match a couple of times, and, and it, it, he didn't miss a spot. It, I mean, you and I was, you know, you're looking, and I don't. You could see there might have been a few times where uh, Brett, you know, talks to him, or whatever. But how do you think he pulled that match off? Because it really, it. Uh, I know it was match of the year for many, but that to me was one of the greatest performances I've ever seen on, on both their parts. But it was just. How do you think he pulled it off? Well, uh, you know, that's twofold. I know. Go down to my go to my grave, um, testifying or whatever, swearing that Davy was not on drugs mm-hmm. in that match. And um, if he was on drugs, the way Brett says, how does I mean? How great does that make Davy? Oh, yeah. Like how? I mean, well, I don't even, like even even if it wasn't even just the physical condition that he I mean this coming off whatever that period of time of being that sick of as you describe he, he was yeah. I I just think you know Brad get Davey had a lot of great matches so yeah. don't act like you know the only great match he ever had was because you apparently called every spot in the ring yeah. and you know shame on you for getting caught on camera talking because. Uh, you're the you know great pro you don't you don't get seen talking you know you just but um he i don't recall davy saying i'm fucked i don't recall that i and there's no way for me to ever know that mm. that was said but um brett makes out like davy was a complete uh, zombie and he carried him through that it's like well if he was look at the what a job like mm. davy look at like Oh, you know, that guy was on drugs and he did that match. He was suffering from a staph infection for six weeks and and completely out of it. And he had that match. Like I would say hats off to Davey Boy Smith more than hats off to Brett. But it takes two to have. That's exactly right. And and those two, I mean, it, it was to me, it's one of my favorite matches of all time. And uh, as we mentioned, and I was there, and I did that uh, the interview at uh, Brinkside. And I have to tell you, though, uh, genuinely, I could see the stress on you. And, yeah. Uh, because of, of everything. Uh, you got your, your brothers in there. It is the biggest stage in the world. Uh, Davy Boy was one of the, not just, I mean, he was known around the world, but he was uh, probably the, the greatest known uh, superstar uh, athlete in England at the time. Yeah. And, you know, he didn't want to uh, look bad. And I remember at the end of that, uh, seeing you in there, and I said, that, that is as genuine as it gets. Uh, that, And maybe you can describe the moments when that thing was over, but uh, what, what were you thinking at that time when, when it was over and that place just went uh, insane? Ah, I was, uh, couldn't believe it was over because I didn't know how it was going to end. And then when it was finally over, it was yeah. like, oh, thank God, yeah. you know, Davey's, Davey's still standing and Brett's okay. And uh, you guys pulled it off so uh, immaculately yeah. and uh, perfect is imperfect. You know, like it, it, it's 
like it was flawless, but there, I liked that there were, uh, uh, you know, little things like I think Davy dropped Brett on the top turnbuckle and it was sort of a ouch and, uh, um, Davy didn't see Brett coming off the, through the ropes to jump on him and he got, I mean, it just, it was so real. Like I, I love like, like, you know, the, I wish there was more of that in wrestling now. And they went for such a long time and they, and it was so well paced and, um, there was a legitimate storyline there too. Like, you know, like I was torn between my brother and my husband and I did, did want Davy to win, but I, you know, I did, I did hear things at home in Calgary before anything happened with, before the staff infection, just stuff from my mom about, uh, you know, like it's, it's too bad that, you know, I I don't blame my mom. It was, but she just, she said it's too bad that uh, you know Brett won't be winning the belt. And yeah. I said, are you guys going to come to England? And she said, no. Brett um, said it wouldn't be worth it for us to go. And I was like, why? <laughs> why would we go? Like it would be, and you know why? Why? Like, but. You know, there was uh, there was some tension there because I I do think my mom was a little bit um, I don't know how to say it, but I I think she kind of wished it was she didn't always see things the way my dad did from the like the promoters, even though my mom was so such a integral part of it, she didn't she wasn't involved in that part of wrestling. She yeah. knew every you know, everything else about, you know, running the business. But my dad could see the, you know, the obvious, you know, but but as Brett said, it was a match where two guys went in and you honestly didn't know who was going to win. But, I, you know, my dad, I think, would love to have been there to see to see Davey win or see Brett win, just to, to have been there and, and watched it from ringside. And that kind of thing wouldn't really have appealed that much to my mom um you know she did get quite involved with things later with brett but uh kind of with the rest of us it was a little um she didn't seem to quite have that passion for it um for whatever reason i i'm not sure but you know she was a behind the scenes sort of um uh part of the wrestling so um but i i I was torn, though. I really was, and that that's not just a, a line to so I can legit, legitimize things. I really was concerned about both, and I mm-hmm. you can't have them both win. And I did want Davy to win. I thought that would be you know so fantastic to have it happen in England, and his mom and dad there to see it, and they had struggles of of their own, and they you know, they had a hard life and for Harry and Georgia. And I just thought, you know, it's, you know, I didn't know Brett would later get the world's belt. So I did kind of feel bad that we were taking, you know, this coveted prize away from Brett to put on, on Davey. But, um, at the end when it was all done, I, I went in and, uh, I wasn't aware of anything where Brett told Davey not to get out of the ring or, you know, not to look to the crowd. I, I don't know what he's talking about there. I heard some interview with him talking to Steve Austin and 
you know, he even called Davy stupid and said, you know, he was being so stupid. He's looking to the crowd and it's like, what, what, this was, what, what, yeah, Yeah. what, what the heck? Well, I know how this works too, though. I mean, him taking Brett's belt, I mean, it just enhanced Brett's career too. I mean, it, it, it was great for both of them. Yeah, uh, it, yeah, it, it, it really it was. was. That um, the way that it finished, it wasn't like Davy that Brett got robbed or anything. Like the fans were were like right on Brett. Like they were so happy for him. I mean, you know, not happy that he lost, but they had so much respect for how you know the, the he and Davy did this. You know, did this and first main event ever that wasn't a world title and their first pay per view, not main event, but yeah. first pay-per-view that wasn't um world's title and there was some uh you know nitpicking in the background leading up to that about that brett and davy shouldn't be main event and oh yeah the world's belt always always is main event and uh so i knew that they had a lot to to prove and i was also so worried about davy's leg and um I just, I, I was a nervous wreck. Yeah. I always. Oh, I remember, <laughs> I remember, and then, but they stole the show. I mean, it was, uh, it was just amazing. Um, you know, we could go on to, you know, talk about Davy. Still had a lot to do. Uh, he did, he did much more. But one of the the casualties in this is that um, you guys uh, eventually drifted apart, and and I don't know what happened. I don't know if you want to talk about it, but. Um, it's the this business is tough and it is really difficult on relationships most don't last uh as long as yours did and uh what was it that happened between you two if you want to talk about it um well he um he got you know he was so banged up and that uh unfortunately i i kind of was I had Davy as the, you know, if my dad didn't uh, take a painkiller to get through his pain, you don't need to. I wasn't that at that time that sympathetic. I, I really was, but at after a point, like after a few years, then I I, I was like Davy, you need to get some help. Mm-hmm. And um, I really think things went. It was a mental and a physical thing. I mean, he could have been on painkillers for the rest of his life based on how bad his body was banged up. I mean, they said in his 30s after he had the uh, car accident that he had the neck of a like an 80-year-old man that, yeah. you know, they said your neck is, you know, even though he, you know, had a big strong neck, they just said your neck is in is not in good shape, but I mean, it was strong. He's just like, wow, I can't believe you're, you know, as young as you are and stuff. So physically he could have been on painkillers, uh, and justifiably for the rest of his life. But, uh, the painkillers became, um, out of control. And that was, um, I think things started to really go bad for Davey when, after he left WWF, and again, I I'm not trying to sound like you know a broken record here, but again, I did not want him to go to WCW, just like I didn't want Davy to leave WWF when Dynamite said we're leaving. Yeah. It's like, why you know 
and I kept listening to my dad again, who he said, you know, this, this will all blow over. And, you know, what I, I don't understand it. He, my dad was very upset about what happened with Brad at the, um, survivor series, but right. it was just, and my dad had so much insight. He's like, you know, this, this will all blow over and, you know, we don't need to, you know, tip the entire apple cart over here. Um, I, I'm, I, this is awful what happened to my son and what happened to, to Brett. Like, you know, he did so much for Vince and, and that's true. You know, like Vince was like a father to Brett and, you know, it's just, it wasn't right. But at the same time, I kept saying to Davey, it's not like pick and choose your battles. And he's like, no, well, this, this is, this is bad. Or what they, what they did to Brett. And it's mm-hmm. like, but, but at the time, and again, I might sound selfish like I did when I said I didn't want Davey to leave the money and stuff with, in after Dynamite wanted to quit. But uh, we had just uh, spent $60,000 on a workout video. And again, I think Davey was ahead of his time there too. We, we produced and started in our own workout video mm-hmm. and uh, Vince was going to promote it. And um, mm. that was all, all like, just we had just finished it like in uh, September and you know this thing started to get funny with uh England with that one uh one night only when uh Davey got his knee brace smashed by Sean and um and Davey's sister Tracy walked down to the ring with him and then she died shortly like a like a year after that or less than a year after that she was dying then but we didn't know it was going to be that fast and um lots of things playing on Davy's mind yeah. as it gets time to what you know when he when things just finally were severed with us and then they they became uh intertwined again but um um he said he had to had to do this you know and uh I must say there was a lot of uh, pressure and nagging, and I was like, I you know I did not want Davy to go to WCW, and I, I was really close to my dad, and my dad kept saying that's not the thing, not what Davy should do, and he wasn't saying what Brett was doing was was wrong at all. He just was telling me as a because he cared about about me and I cared about Davy and he just he, but Davy left and um, it was a real really bad uh, mentally very bad for Davy and he after being there a couple of months he said my career is going down the toilet with this company they don't care about me they they um, you know they they don't they don't care at all about me and this was before he had hurt his back and he just said the only, the only one they care about is Brett and I don't think they even cared about Brett I'm not sure what was going on there but he said they and then he he started uh hanging out with people that I wasn't I at this point um we had we were living back in Calgary again and there were just a few times where he didn't come home when he 
normally would have flown home, and I thought that was strange. And then uh, he ended up breaking his back. Um, mm. You know, it was the straw that broke the camel's back. He had the uh, injuries that, and it's just it probably was going to happen, but it was ended up <laughs> wrestling in uh, fall brawl against uh, Disco Inferno, and uh, there was a trap door, and he got. And nobody knew that the trap door was there, so no one's avoiding it. And you're just, you know, it's like, oh, it's like getting dra- dropped on um, on cement, you know, without knowing it. Like when you're in the ring, you know, guys will just slam you as hard as they can. Cause, yeah. uh, and, but, yeah, and you're thinking, oh, I can, yeah, but when, you, you know, uh, not knowing it, it's like uh, somebody in a movie telling you to drink the poison and pretend you're hurt, but it's not really poison. It's just, you know, colored uh, seven up and then you'd find you're drinking it and it was poison. It's like, oh, you know, I feel really sick. You know, I'm I'm, so that that turned into uh, an infection in his back where the trauma was that we didn't know about for several, I don't know, maybe three months. And uh, Davey did go into a rehab and um, he came out. Oh, his sister died just. Uh, around the time that his, she died like November of 1998, and then he did rehab in January for six weeks. He came out and he's like, I can't believe the pain I'm in. He didn't feel like he was rested or better at all, but he did the rehab. He went back to England like almost the day after he got out of rehab. He went to see Harry Amateur Russell. Harry got his arm uh, smashed or broken, not smashed. His, his, the big arm and his uh, bicep mm. just broken in half. And um, uh, they put Harry in with the national champion, and they were trying to show Davy. They didn't know where Davy had been for six weeks, but trying to show him how, how far you know young Harry had come. And Harry's on his hands and knees, and the guy's got his fist like flat out on the back of Harry's arm, like just where the tricep would be. Um, and he's just pushing and pushing and Harry won't, cause he's so stubborn, won't, won't roll over and his arm snapped and it just sounded like ice breaking on a, oh, in a, boy. just, and then Harry went, fuck. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was, it was really bad. And then, um, we took Harry to the hospital and then, well, this is going on. Um, he gets Davy gets a call from his mom, or someone in England, and they said your mom is, she was waiting for you to get out of rehab. So no, I didn't know this either, but his mom had cancer, and I think his mom maybe knew when Tracy died a few months before, but she didn't want to say anything. And then he, she waited for Davy to do the rehab, and she they said your mom is dying. She's got, you know, just a matter of a couple of days or so left. So he flew flew to England, and in England or where where they're from, it's a common practice to have the dead body in the house for people to uh, pay their respects to. Yeah. And um, so Davy was there, and I think he was just heartbreak heartbroken about his mom and his sister and his career and his back and you know what am I going to do? And um, I heard that he had saw her delauded, I guess it's a really strong 
morphine, a super strong painkiller they give to cancer patients um, in their last couple of days. And he took some of her Dilaudid, but he didn't like go overboard. I think he just took it because it was so hard to handle seeing his mom. And he was close to his mom. Um, anyway, he came back and he, he was heartbroken. He just never really got over that. And then um, he's still walking, like figuratively speaking, walking around with this terrible back problem. He doesn't know what it is. And he went to the doctor and the emergency and they threw him out. They said, you're just looking for drugs and get, get out of here. And uh, he was having coffee with my mom, I think. And we used to meet her for the coffee sometimes, um, Monday, Wednesdays, and Fridays. And um, he got a call from the hospital, and they said, wherever you are, stay where you are. We're sending an ambulance. You've got a serious infection in your back. We finally got the white blood cell count. Mm. So this was like... Um, like two weeks had gone by since he and they said your white blood cell count is is uh, like crazy i don't know how bad but it was way 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 over the whatever it should have been and they picked him up in an ambulance at the coffee shop took him to the rocky view hospital and there he stayed for over a month in this body cast and Jeez. then he got let go from WCW because they said you're uh, basically hadn't been to work for them since he went into rehab. Uh-huh. So, uh, well, since he had, I, I think at, not long after fall brawl, um, he just couldn't, couldn't uh, function, but his pill increase was going up and up and up. His, his, um, and he was doing more and more and worse and worse. And it's just getting, so then he went into the rehab, came out, uh, fine. Uh, anyway, we're, we get into May now. Um, he's been released from WCW by uh, FedEx. Um, it was very cold. You know, I mean, I don't know really how you do it, but it was like, uh, according to your doctors, you're no longer your uh, back uh, injury says you will not be able to wrestle. So we are terminating your your services are no longer uh, required, and um, this you're you're fired. You know, you're you're mm-hmm. done. Mm-hmm. And then Owen came to see him. Uh, Owen Davey was just—he was so mad. And now he's on again. He's on a morphine drip now. That he's, you know, that's what he went into rehab for. Oh, but they said you're on a more. You need to go on morphine because this back injury—it's—it's it's really bad. You know, like we—we're not quite sure what to do. And Davey kept saying, "I don't want you to operate." And you know, let's just isolate my back and see if it heals or recovers or repairs or like i don't know i'm i'm desperate but don't operate so he's sitting in the, it looked like a turtle shell uh for like a, a good month in the rocky view yes. and um owen came in he, owen had visited him a few times and you know he'd be davy would be gone for uh i don't know scans and stuff and then owen would leave a note and he's like hey bulldog uh you know, I'm sorry I missed you. Um, I'm getting a phone in your room, so you, uh, we're going to get you back with the WWE. And, you know, just le- not long letters or anything, just a couple of sentences. But, you know, sure enough, there's a phone in the room. And sure enough, the phone call happened. And Vince said to Davey, in summary, 
Bulldog, you know, we'd love to have you back. You know, you get well and we'll find something for you. And uh, Owen says you're looking good. And, you know, uh, you know, you know, just short and sweet. But, uh, you know, we'll be in Calgary in, uh, in at the end of the month. You know, so so that that was that. And then Davey was like, like he got the shot of adrenaline, like Popeye with the spinach. Yeah, like, right. oh, I don't know what I'm going to do, but I'm getting out of here and I've got, um, you know, my, my, uh, my ex-wife. And I'm just saying that as though it's Vince. My ex-wife and I are getting back together. Uh-huh. Right. We're, we're on again. And he was so happy. And then Owen died. Yeah, and I was going to say a lot going on uh, with you too. I mean, here you guys are trying to get through what's going on with you guys, and then you lose Owen. Yeah, it was uh, oh. I, I was a mess too. Oh. Uh, I was was uh, not um, in a good place. I, I mean, I was lucky to some of the things that happened prior to Davey going into rehab because I I just had a had a breakdown and I like a really bad one and I'm I feel uh terrible about it uh, to this day I mean what it put my mom and dad through and my kids through but it was just and Davey it was a combination of so many things and nobody listening and everything um falling apart and just my whole world was uh and nobody was listening. Like you know, that's it's such a terrible thing with, um, you know, being depressed and stuff when people don't take you seriously, and then you yeah. do, you do something one day to like you know, okay, I guess this is, you know, it was a a combination of thinking I really, I was at the root of all of these problems and also that I didn't matter and that no one was listening and uh, the world would be better off without me. Like I really did because uh, with everything I seemed to say, no one was listening. Like it's like, you know, Davey needs help. No one would. It's like, I, anyway, I, I was just, I was um, mentally uh, un, unwell, really, really bad. And mm. it was a, uh, you can't take those uh, decisions, you know, uh, instant decisions away. But um, that's what what uh, persuaded, I guess, Davy to go into rehab because he it was everything was exposed. I mean, everything I'd been saying, but everything was exposed, and he he was. Uh, um, Brett had a talk. Brett and his wife Julie talked to him and said this. You need. And Owen did talk to him a little bit too. Owen was was uh, good with me. And Brett was more handling Davy. And he went into the rehab and he didn't fight it or anything. He was. It was. Uh, he went in like. Uh, I don't want to say like a champ, but you know he went in like. Like yeah, I'm I'm doing this. I'm I'm gonna do it, and and he did it. And he was sick as hell when he got out, and his back was killing him, and nothing was really better. But he did it, and then his mom died, and mm-hmm. so anyway, Sean. Then it gets back to uh, he got he did go back to WWF, and now we're WWE with yeah. uh, no one is gone, and then there's all this 
family fighting and um um I don't know what happened. I don't know who got him started on it again or he just was just didn't have that same like Undertaker said that. He said he just didn't have that same spark, but yeah. I you know, so we we split up and uh because he he started to uh, use use again and I was sick about that and then I and then when I said you have to go to rehab and Vince said you had to go to rehab he didn't go like he didn't not with that same um ambition I guess that he went to you know in 1999 when he went uh, just before his mom died he he fought it every step of the way you know he's just like I'm not going there's nothing wrong with me and um you know he, he was mad at everyone in the world and didn't and I got, I think he just got, uh, uh, went down, went with some bad people or made some bad choices that people were telling him, you know, you don't need, like, I don't know, it reminds me of Little John and Pinocchio in that cartoon, you know, that they, they take him, you know, you can smoke cigars and don't worry if your nose is growing and you, you've got a tail and ears. Like, you know, this is, you know, if your family doesn't like that, you, you know, you're you know, tough for them. And But whoever was with Davey when he was at that point, they didn't have the best of Davey. They got, yeah. and then he, he started to come around after my mom died, which again was another blow for him too but me and and uh it's just such a horrible string of events yeah. and he maybe felt some compassion for me because my mom died and he knew what it was like but he and I started to talk there were a lot of uh, uh there was a lot of turmoil too as he was still hanging around with some people he he really that weren't that didn't care about him or his kids yeah. and, um but a uh, little by little you know he'd run into like my sister ellie at the you know at the store and you know he maybe thought she was gonna tell him off but instead she was like you know you should come down and see uh see you know my dad sometime and you know you think so would Stu want to see me and yeah of course he would and mm -hmm. knowing that if he went and had like an hour talk or five hour talk with my mm -hmm. dad it would do him a lot of good and yeah. you know just little by little there was the thawing and then um you know it and then he you know it the the end of his life i we were talking on the phone from my where I was living uh, to the WWF to Beth Zaza, that was Vince's secretary then, and mm -hmm. you know it was all arranged again. It's like this month of May, you know, that was 1999 with Owen, and then 2002 with Davey. But again in May, you know, they were coming up to do SmackDown, and they were uh, Davey was setting it up he said I'm going to be coming down with with Stu and Diana and the kids and everything is we've got it worked out and and um and so it was like you know great we're we're and all this 
who knows what's in store you know what's the next chapter but you know we're we're gonna we're gonna start again and everything's and so we were pretty happy and you know i went to some movies davy took georgia to some movies took her out of school and was spending some time you know just i, I don't know little things out georgia was so thrilled that he <laughs> came and took her out of school to take her to see batman or something yeah. like and then um anyway you know i got the call that he was he was he was gone and i was like no i just saw him yeah. last night at that that's not like what are you talking about and yeah, 39 uh, maybe it's just, yeah. yeah and that was just and nothing nothing was nothing has ever really been the same i mean there i've you know every life has to go on you know you live in different houses and you have different animals when you have your favorite moments but i mean i i just remember those days like like the summer slam 92 I'm, I'm not like you know stuck like in quagmire right. in the past you know i can't get past you know, I never, you know, she never, like Delta Dawn or something, you know, she never got over the SummerSlam. She always thought she was a somebody because she, you know, raised her brother and her husband's hands. That, but that's not it. It was it was so much of it's the best like, of times. Yeah, it was. Yeah. And then, you know, we went on and the stuff with Owen joining and then Brian yeah. Pillman. Um, you know, just and then all over the years, how the affection for my family is has just grown so much and you know, it's it's just i really miss i just miss it so much and you can go go through um what is normal for other people is not normal for me so right. yeah. it's just not a it, it's like you know it might be not the hardest work in the world but uh going to a nine-to-five job is is just like hell. <laughs> it is. It's just yeah. it's just hell. You know. I. I. But you know. But maybe things will turn around. It's just. I just miss miss it so much, and that that such good times. Like when my dad had the Stampede Wrestling. You know, going from way back when we started the interview about me watching my dad when I was little and seeing the stitches on his head and seeing him bleeding yeah. on TV from, but it was so, everything was just, just such, uh, I don't know, like, even though it's wrestling, it, like, it's the real, the real thing. And the, all the animals and the characters and, you know, the, everything the the food and the old ring vans and my dad's rings and ropes and it's it's all like of another era you know that yeah. no one would know what you're talking about to say the turnbuckles were were just taped with athletic tape like yeah. they, they don't even know what you like they can't even fathom it it's like no they yeah. they're but anyway yeah it's just been it, i would love to be so I, you know, I do. I go on and on. Sometimes, Sean, I just I love to to talk about how what an extraordinary life I had, but all because of you know everybody from 
when I was little to, you know, to this moment. And, and um, you know, a lot, I wouldn't have had some of the best things if it weren't for Davey, yeah. like Harry and Georgia and, and like the SummerSlam 92, if that had been anybody else but those two, that night wouldn't have been the same, but it was, it was Davey and the Brits and, you know, the United Kingdom didn't get behind some, some, uh, uh, half-baked, uh, they got behind somebody who was, who was really a champion. Like he, he was a real, he's the real thing, you know? Yeah. Well, when you look back on it all, uh, I mean, just being part of that heart legacy and, Davy boy, and uh, there's been a lot of tragedy, but so many other triumphs and awesome uh, times. Would would you trade a moment of it all? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> no. Uh, no, not not uh, not any of that that happened with through wrestling. Some of those nine to five jobs, yeah, I, he <laughs> can hit the bricks, but um, and no, I wouldn't, um, cause they all, they all, they all made a part of uh, I, I, I didn't, uh, you know, long for the hardships, and I certainly didn't go through things that the generation before me went through, but I do think it, seeing what I did see and hearing what I saw from the, the, the people before me and to, to be able to look at wrestling now and know that, know what I know. Um, I just, I just feel like I, I'm kind of privileged. Like, I, I don't know if that, I don't want to sound arrogant, but I, I look at a wrestling match, some of these ones now, I, I don't like to pick them apart, but I can just, I can see, like, I feel like I'm so uh, educated because I know that, I, I don't know, it's it's maybe like watching uh, a really good chef watching somebody making something and they know that. They know all the I, ingredients. Yeah, <laughs> I, I just, it's just really I just feel like when I see wrestling now or when I see wrestling on TV, I, I've been around some people in the last little while that are quite familiar with the NFL and the CFL, and yeah. they're really, uh, really nice guys. And when they are watching football, like the Super Bowl yesterday and leading up to it, all the games, the way they know things, I, I'm in awe of how much they know. I, I feel... And then when I'm watching wrestling, they said that about me that I have, and I'm not like you know, oh this is wrong, that's wrong, what? Is, but I just, just will say things, and they they said you, we, like they they kind of made me feel like I was, um, uh, well I anyway I just felt like. Like wow, I, I I felt I feel like I'm privileged to know what I know about wrestling, and I wouldn't know that if I had been brought up any yeah. other way. Right. So if you took anything away from my wrestling life, it wouldn't be the same for me now. So, yeah. it's awesome, including uh, including you. 
<laughs> Very good. Well, uh, Diana, thank you so much for joining us. I mean, uh, really, uh, and being so candid and telling us the, the story about this incredible family, uh, the ups and the downs. But boy, I tell you, what a ride. What a ride. Yeah. Oh, thank you. I, I, um, I really appreciate you letting me talk. Yeah. I, I came from the heart, Sean. Uh, well, well, uh, that was uh, some conversation. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Diana Hart uh, had a lot to say. And wow, some incredible insight to the Hart family, that legendary family, and of course, her husband, Davy Boy Smith. And, uh, you know, you, you can tell that she still misses him, and I'm, I'm sure she will forever. And uh, it's also great to see her, her son, Harry. Uh, I hope that you had a chance to listen to his episode along the way. And if you haven't, you should uh, go down the list there and find it and listen to it, because uh, he had some great insight on Davy Boy as well. Uh, now he's uh, known in the ring as Davy Boy Smith, and he's doing really well. Uh, congrats out there to Harry uh, teaming up with Teddy Hart. They are now the MLW Tag Team Champions, carrying on the great legacy of the Hart family. Uh, before we go, I want to thank uh, our sponsors uh, for being with us uh, as long as they uh, were, BlueChew.com. And the guys, as I said, this is it because you listen to this podcast you have this last chance to get this very special deal. Don't let me down. Uh, visit BlueChew.com right now, and you will get your first shipment absolutely free when you use our special promo code PRIMETIME. You know how to spell it, PRIMETIME. And then all you have to do is pay 5 bucks for shipping. Again, that's B-L-U-E-Chew.com, promo code PRIMETIME to try it for free. So come on, guys, man up. BlueChew is the better, cheaper, faster choice. That's BlueChew.com. All right, we got some uh, Patreon birthday shout-outs. You know, we do this. This is part of the uh, Patreon membership. When it's your birthday, we let everybody know. So, Michael Budnick. Uh, I hope I said that correctly. Michael, happy birthday. His birthday is coming up uh, February 13th. Also, Richard Ross, a Patreon member, happy birthday to you. His birthday is February 16th. And Grafton Gardner. And, uh, well, we just talked to the phone uh, recently. His birthday is February 19th. Also, a belated birthday shout-out to Chris Tubbs, who just joined us on Patreon. His birthday was last week, February 6th. Happy birthday, Chris, and welcome. And, and guys, you know, I, I also wanted to mention uh, another one of our Patreon members who's going through a pretty tough time this week. Andy Toth uh, just lost a, a beloved pet this week. And, and if you're a pet owner, you know that losing a pet – uh, one that's close to you is like losing a family member. But uh, through this, I have to tell you, I am so touched that, uh, you know, by all of the the great and sincere comments that members have made to Andy on the PTSM Patreon page, um, uh, Evan uh, put that up. He mentioned it. And really, it was it's just incredible to see uh, you guys stepping up. It's so cool. Uh, you guys reaching out beyond your shared interest in professional wrestling it goes uh, way beyond that, and you certainly have shown that by how you've responded to the posts we put up about Andy. So really awesome, guys. It's just uh, great to see. Another great episode is on the way next week. Uh, stay tuned. We will be announcing it soon. Uh, once our Patreon members decide uh, what episode is going to drop next week, yes, that is another perk of being a PTSM Patreon member. You guys get to pick uh, what episode is going to drop. And um, also, oh, I wanted to mention that uh, I'm now going to do the uh, AMA Q&A, Ask Mooney Anything Q&A, every week. 
Uh, everybody seemed to really enjoy that. And, uh, you know, I'm going to hop on. I, I think Sunday is a good day to do it. Uh, let me know if that doesn't work for you. But, um, you know, I'm hop on and we'll see how long uh, you guys want to stay up. But uh, we're going to do that every week now. And you can be part of it all by going to patreon.com slash primetime Mooney. Other news. I got so much to tell you guys today. Just got off the phone today with uh, Conrad Thompson uh, as he continues to put together another fabulous, tremendous, awesome StarCast 2, you know, all part of the Double or Nothing event taking place in Las Vegas, uh, May 23rd through the 26th. And that is going to be a blast. And you've been hearing all of these announcements. And I can tell you that I will again be part of another great show at the event. Also, uh, they uh, announced that I'm going to be the official host. Uh, I like that title. Uh, that's going to be a lot of fun. So I'll have more details. I wish I could tell you more, but uh, we, we're starting to nail down that uh, the one show that I will be involved in, and I'll have more details on that next week. But, uh, folks, it is is happening, and I could not be more thrilled to be a part of it. Okay. I've kept you all long enough. Thanks for listening, everybody. I'm Sean Mooney, and I am out. <laughs> 